you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1 800 858 858. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is three past nine here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who of course is on World Cup duty at the moment. Uh, big game yesterday, the second semi-final, and a uh, real disappointment because, you know, England, they put on a great score, uh, 293 for eight, and the South African women who have been going so good all tournament. I mean, you know, they finished second in the round robin. Uh, they just couldn't front up when it really mattered and they ended up getting skittled for 156. So we have our World Cup final Sunday. It is going to be between the unbeaten Australians and the English women who, remember, they met their first game of the of the World Cup. It was those two uh, played each other and, uh, you know, the Poms went damn close in that game. They went real close. Uh, so looking like it's going to be a great final as well in the Cricket World Cup. Uh, coming up on the show today, uh, Mel Jones former Aussie cricketer and now commentator. She's here for the World Cup. We'll talk to her more about that from around 9.30. Craig Hodges, he is the Warriors GM of football. He's going to join us uh, after 10 o'clock. So keen to get your thoughts, uh, your questions for Craig. If you've got a question for the man that is basically in charge of recruitment and development of the squad for the Warriors, then hit us on the temper bedpost text machine. It is double eight double three double eight double three. Chuck those questions our way. We will ask him about the UN Aitken situation, what's happening with Matt Lodge and how recruitment works for the Warriors and how they're building uh, the club and the squad for the futures, how they're attracting players. Uh, the Dilma expertise panel as well uh, is coming up after 10 o'clock. Uh, Ross Carl from Sky Sport and Hamish Bidwell will join us on that. Uh, interesting one after 11 for me uh, because Often, and we've talked about this, talked about it yesterday, I've talked about it, you know, people like Bob Carter coaching a women's team with the White Ferns, Glenn Moore coaching the Black Ferns. Often you have men coaching women. But this one was flipping around a wee bit because the Mystics men's head coach is a woman, Tia Winakiri, and we're going to talk to her about what it's like uh, coaching men versus coaching women and, and where men's netball is at the moment as well. That's coming up after 11, plus a whole lot more as well. And uh, Logan, yesterday... It seemed like across the SEN family over Australia uh, was it, it was Warriors Day. There were Warriors everywhere. 
Yeah, mate. The Warriors fandom was huge over across the ditch on uh, SEN. It was Warriors Day to sort of help drum up support and uh, get more memberships going uh, in Australia. So, you know, you had uh, the likes of Ewan Aiken, Jazz Tavanga, Sean Johnson, Aidan Fanor, like all, all across the station, all across the day. So huge exposure for them ahead of playing the Broncos. So it's awesome to see a bit of love and a bit of support from our friends across the ditch. Yeah, indeed. Now, we've got some, uh, some clips actually from some of these interviews because uh, we got some goss didn't we we got some goss particularly from uh, from J- from Jazz Tavanga Jazz Tavanga let a let a few things out of the bag yeah, we will get we will get to that. Uh, Jazz and Sean, oh man, these these are great uh, interviews. We'll start off though with the captain's run with the great Cameron Smith and of course uh, Denon Kemp as well, former warrior, former warrior. So that's a that's a name very uh, familiar there to uh, Warriors fans out there that are listening. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, you and Aiken chatting on the captain's run. Now I'm getting reports out of the Warriors and the Broncos <laughs> camp that you guys are calling it the Kemp Cup. Is this correct? <laughs> <laughs> you wish, Kemp. <laughs> I was going to say, there's some, there's, some, uh, there's some pretty good names that also could be the such and such cup. <laughs> it could be the Tate. Yes, the great Brent Tate. Brent Tate. Uh, yeah, Campion. Yeah, probably one, yeah. And what about what about what about the great Buster Seymour? Well, Brett Seymour. Yes, Brett Seymour. That's a throwback. <laughs> now, now you and you've made the transition to the back row. I want to know how that conversation came about. Was it something that you approached the coach with, or the coach came to you with? How did that all come about? No, it was just pure. Um, we're down on troops um, in the back row last year and before the Tigers game uh, back into the year, and he just said um, we sort of need you to fill in this spot this week just to, to cover injuries, and then obviously came out and played a really good game. So I sort of um, did myself in then. And then, like, the coaches just like, sort of liked what I bring and um, the leg speed, the back row, and being able to sort of keep the defenders inside shoulder, which helps the uh, uh, defensive line as well. So after that game, they sort of just sort of stuck with me there and sort of liking what they're seeing from me there. Mate, now, you've been, uh, you've been around the block for quite a while. Uh, what's it like playing with a guy, you know, you've seen many really young, talented guys coming through. A guy like Walshie, uh, you know, he's super, super talented, got a lot of potential. Uh, you know, you're the back rower, so you can connect quite well with him. What's, uh, I guess, what have you seen in him that you really think is, uh, you know, deserved of the superstar kind of tag that he is on him right now? Um, just his sort of, he's sort of got a fearless nature about him. That, like, if he sees something, he doesn't mind taking that opportunity, which is, Something that's really good. He's sort of not like a really uh, drilled-in sort of type of player. He sort of plays on instinct, mm-hmm. and which is something that you sort of really like to see these days. So, um, yeah, he's definitely a good kid, and he's, he's got a long and bright future. Now, for you personally, uh, as I said, I, I love your back row, mate. I think you're playing some really, really good footy. Do you think it's where you're going to stay long-term? Because you've also played some fantastic footy at centre. Is that Where do you reckon you'll end up? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, there's positives about both positions, and I sort of enjoy both at different times. Obviously, when you're playing back row, you're a lot more involved and in every single game, no matter what. But um, obviously, the plus side of being in the centre, sometimes you get that better ball, and you sort of got more of a chance of one-on-one. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sort of, I'm, I just sort of want to keep that value of being able to play both, and hopefully, mm-hmm. team picking up and sees the value in that, and um, I can perform well at both teams, both both positions. Sorry. And what's the, you know, you can see Brownie and you boys kind of coming together and really trying to, I guess, build a, I guess, a, an identity. What's the, the goal for you as a forward pack? You know, what are you trying to build for the future of the, uh, with the Warriors in that forward pack? Um, yeah, we're just 
We're just sort of um, trying to improve on what we did last year. It's obviously taken Brownie a sort of a year to sort of get his principles in the team. Um, so yeah, now we've just got to make that stick. So we all believe in what we're doing here. The culture that Tohu Harris is bringing as captain has been exceptional. Um, so we're just sort of get, getting around each other and um, our trademarks are earn everything, consistent actions and honest feedback. So we just so they're the focus points of um, our whole club and um, if we keep um, working hard for each other and and being consistent and then obviously when time comes to give each other feedback we'll go a long way to sort of get into victories and um, and really push it for that final um, berth. So yeah that was you and Aiken on the captain's run with Denon Kemp and uh, Cameron Smith yesterday I think it's just a pity that it looks like we're going to that's the this is going to be the last season we see you and Aiken in a uh, in a Warriors jersey Logan. Yeah it's a shame because uh, I mean when you look at the way he's played this year he's been doing especially on defense He's almost a brick wall, mate. He's he's made a hundred tackles and only missed five. That's that's Michael Luck type numbers. So he's he's putting them up there, and yeah, I mean, he may have not done himself any favors by playing so well uh, in the forward pack that they don't want to shift him back to centre. But I mean, there's an option there. We've mentioned it a few times on the show now that the centres are potentially a little bit weak there for the Warriors, and maybe he should go back in there to sort of provide a little bit more stock in those ranks. But uh, yeah, I mean, it will be sad to see him go because he's he's a hell of a player. Yeah, he's a great player, and uh, like I say, I mean, I'm not sold on the excuse, uh, and I think it's something we'll definitely want to bring up with Craig Hodges, the Warriors GM of football after 10 when he joins us. If you've got questions for Craig, then text them through to us on the Temper Bedpost hotline uh, of uh, double eight double three. Uh, I'm just seeing, slightly disturbing, that Israel Dag, the lifestyle block guy, the man who's Got you know a digger and it looks after. He's got he's paid somebody to come and wash his windows. There's somebody washing his windows and it's definitely not Izzy or Daisy. So he's got he's got a paid window washer. Mate, when you're when you're living the life that Izzy Dag is, I mean, <laughs> uh, this is this is something we need we need to bring to breakfast attention uh, for sure. Uh, we'll get to that though because uh, there was something. Uh, well, we had a few other interviews as we said. It was Warriors Day across the SEN network uh, over in Australia, drumming up. Uh, support for the Warriors as they continue their season over in Aussie uh, for 2022. And Jimmy Smith in the afternoons, they had Jazz Tavunga on, and we learned probably more than we should have about Jazz's private life in this in this interview. Yeah, hold on for this one. Hold on for this one. All right. If we talk about the Warriors' win as a team um, and lie. their form this year, yeah. what about your own form? What's have you have you been happy with the way things have been going for you, Jazz? Um, I'd like to to get a, a few more minutes, um, to be honest. But um, that's the way you know Brownie's been using me, and I just you know I just have to be ready on the bench. Um, so yeah, wherever I fit, I'd rather play a bit more in the middle, like as as a lock, lock forward. Um, but you know, Wade is still um, you know getting the match fitness under his belt, and I'm sure in a couple of weeks uh, I won't be needed there. So yeah, yeah, I'll stay ready, Brownie. Yeah. Yeah, I love the passion that you play with, Jazz. I think that's really evident every time you run out onto the field. Where does that come from? Has that always been the way you've played your footy? Yeah, that's just... I like to th- well, I think that's just come from where I come from. But I come from a small town, uh, Papakura in Auckland, South Auckland. So that's the way we play out there. And um, I've been working really hard on taming it, taming it a bit because <laughs> I've been, you know, uh, my own worst enemy at times. But, yeah, a lot more discipline this time around. Uh, it's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? Because that's part of your attraction, right? The the way you play yeah, the yeah, game, 100%. and that's 
like the last couple of games, I, I do feel like you know something's missing. Like I, I feel like there's a bit of edge missing. That so I, I don't know. I've got to find a, a way where I can inject that aggression, but still, you know, keep it keep my thinking hat on. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey, away from the footy, how's it been? Um, what about from you from a family point of view? I don't know if there's anyone from your family that's over at Redcliffe, but how have you found um, living up there, away from home for another year? Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually enjoyed my time here in um, Australia. Like, uh, sort of growing up a bit, to be honest. Um, and moving to Queensland, you know, sunny beaches, you know, it's it's... It's not a bad spot to be relocated, to be honest. Um, I do miss my family in that, and I do have um, some extended family around, but um, I've you know, pretty much been on my own. Um, my best mate, Sam, plays for the Gold Coast. Um, I'm really close with our owners, uh, Robbo and Amanda and his their family. Um, but, yeah, otherwise... Oh, I found myself a, a girl too. I found myself a bird. So recently, just got a girlfriend over here, and, and so that definitely makes it easier. Um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed my time here in Queensland. Ah, oh, fantastic! So, is she an Aussie? Yeah, she's an Aussie. Uh, met her. She's from Balmain in Sydney, but she moved up here to Gold Coast. Ah, well, mate, everyone's got a great "How did you meet?" story. So you better let us know yours. Um, Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, mate, that's very 2022 of you, Jazz. That's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Hey, it's a lot easier these days, mate. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I needed all the help. I could. Anyway, that's a separate issue. Separate issue. Hey, um, before we let you go, mate, and, and preparing for this big game this weekend, I know that you were... Um, Really proud to turn out for Samoa in the World Cup 2017. Have you given much thought about um, the 2022 version coming up at the end of the year? And um, it's be exciting for Samoa. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, one of my aspirations is to to play for New Zealand. So if I get that call up, um, which hopefully I do, then I'll, I'll definitely, you know, say yes. But if not, then um, I'd I'd still love to represent um, my father's side in in Samoa. So, um, you know, I'm hoping I stay injury-free, I play good footy, and I can get over there and represent either or um, countries. Yeah, so Justin Fogel may be giving up a little more than he should have with Jimmy Smith yesterday, uh, but uh, he wasn't the only one to pick up on that because uh, the run home with Joel Kane and James Magnuson also, they'd obviously heard that, and they had Sean Johnson on uh, uh, just after that, and uh, they are Sean about Jazz's girlfriend and a few other things as well. Have you met uh, maybe the future Mrs. Jazz Devanga yet? No, it's funny hearing that. I, I don't even know if she's real. Sean, James here, tell us, Sean, Jazz Devanga's Tinder profile, what sort of pictures do you reckon he's running on there? Is he, is he a shirtless operator, or what do you reckon? Nah, nah, I don't think he's a shirtless operator. I mean, he might have he might have one shirtless pick just to show the carpet, the rug that he's got on his pick. <laughs> um, but other than that, I reckon he's probably actually rocking like a Warriors profile pick type. Uh, uh, Jake from Brighton's on the text line here, Sean, and he says, uh, G'day, boys, I play super coach. Can you ask Sean if he's playing? <laughs> Are you playing this week, mate? <laughs> No, I can't. Uh, either way, I'm not actually allowed to say whether I am playing or whether I'm not playing, apparently. I don't want to get myself in trouble, man, so I'm going to keep it uh, a straight bet on that one. No, um, good answer. I time to tell. 
Good answer. Uh, good answer. Well, how would you read into that missile for Jake? Yeah, he's playing. Not only is he playing, put him as your captain on Supercoach. Yeah, double down. I'm, call, I'm calling a big one from Sean this weekend. Uh, there you go. <laughs> hey, what, what have you made of the start of the season, Sean? It's been a little bit indifferent for the Warriors so far. Yeah, it's been a bit of a... Um, oh, you, word I'd probably use is probably a bit frustrating. You know, like, mm. um, on a personal level, obviously, I wasn't planning on picking up a pick tear in my first game for the club. Yeah. Um, an injury that I... Had never even heard of, really. Um, so that was pretty, pretty disappointing. And then, obviously, obviously from a club point of view, I mean, how picking up that win last week. But um, you know, if we're looking at sort of performance, yeah, we just we just haven't put out. Um, I guess what we've practiced is probably the simplest way to put it. Um, and that's it's pretty disappointing when you when you're not doing that. So uh, as a group, you know, we're we're training really well, um, and we've been doing that for. A, um, a little while now, so we're hoping at some point, you know, we'll start to see that uh, translate, you know, into a, a good, strong 80-minute performance. You see uh, Cameron George. Now, he wants all the Warriors games in New Zealand for 2023, so not necessarily all at Mount Smart, but uh, I'm sure you would agree with this. I certainly agree with this. I think it'd be so good for the game. But but can you articulate, Sean, what you think by having every game in New Zealand for the Warriors next year, how important that could be for our game of rugby league? I think it's just as important for the game of rugby league as the Warriors moving away from home for the last three years. Yeah. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't even think it it does actually even match up. Even if the NRL gave gave us every game in New Zealand, not necessarily at Mount Smart, you know, spread it out across the country, but I still don't even think that comes close to, I guess, repaying the club for what they've given up, you know, mm. to keep the comp alive. Um, that's how I see it, mm. you know, so a lot of people view it, you know, it's a lot of the Warriors to ask to have every game over there, but really, I don't actually think it's a lot at all considering what they've done. So, um, obviously, I'm all for it. Um, you know, there's a lot of us missing our families and, um, you know, wanting to get home and obviously wanting to, you know, show the boys that are signed for us, some of the Aussie boys in particular, you know, a little bit about New Zealand, you know, and the, and the club and the people that we do actually represent. So, um yeah, it'd be really cool. Obviously, we're so excited, bro, to get back and play a few games at Mount Smart at the end of the season. So, you know, we're not going to look past that because that's just, like, uh, I've literally, the more I think about it, like the tighter my chest gets, I just have no words to put, like, on what that's going to feel like to play at Mount Smart again. This week, it is the Broncos' Redcliffe, which is nice for the boys who have been, you know, you've been based up there in Redcliffe, so it should be a decent crowd. The Broncos have never played an NRL game at Redcliffe. Uh, what's the key to beating the Broncos and what's the key focus for the Warriors team this week, Sean? Oh, I mean, if you watched the Cowboys playing last week, it was a pretty simple game plan. Yeah. Mm. Um, they they ran hard and they just, they, they literally took it to them, you know, and they completed. So I think a simple game plan, you make them make tackles, you put the ball in good spots and, um, yeah, back your defence. It's a pretty, it's a pretty simple focus for us. Um, you know, coming from, you know, where we've been for the first three rounds, it's certainly an improvement area for us uh, in terms of building that pressure. So, yeah, I'm not going to overthink it too much this week. Just going to try to get out there and deliver it. There you go. Sean Johnson speaking yesterday on the run home with Joel Kane and James Magnuson on SEN out of Australia. Uh, it was a bit of a Warriors day across the ditch on the SEN network, drumming up support for the Warriors for another season uh, based in Australia in the NRL. Uh, Aidan Fanua-Blake also appeared on SEN Breakfast with Vossi and Brandy. You can catch all the full interviews on the SEN app or when, wherever you get your podcasts as well. And based on that chat, Logan... If I'm the TAB, I'm giving you about a dollar ten on Sean Johnson starting for the Warriors against the Broncos. 
Yeah, I love that because Supercoach uh, NRL is massive over in Australia. It's such a big deal. I, I used to do a lot of the uh, the video content and everything around that. And uh, I love that listeners would bring in a question like that and Sean just kind of ducked and <laughs> he, he sidestepped it as best, as best he could. Uh, so <laughs> kudos for that one there, SJ. But man, yeah, it's It'd be great to see him back on the field. I love how he was like, I didn't even know that was an injury you could get, but, yeah. I, but I got it. But I got it, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you, you haven't been to the gym for ages and you go and, and you do it, you do a workout and then the next day you're like, I'm hurting in places I didn't know existed. It's kind of that kind of feel. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully he's recovered well. He can come back and uh, you know he can start steadying the ship there and uh, Warriors can get their season on board. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, 22 past nine here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball. And for him, Craig Hodges, the Warriors GM of football, is with us after 10. Any questions for him, hit us on the temper bed post. Text machine double eight double three. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 28 past nine here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who will be back with us on Tuesday. Of course, a big part of the Cricket World Cup coverage. Speaking of which, Mel Jones, uh, former Aussie cricketer and now commentator, she is going to join us after the news and sport at 9.30 to talk about the Cricket World Cup and uh, what a great final it has set up too for us between Australia and England. Two teams who clashed in the first round of round robin uh, and went down to the wire on that one. So looking forward to that going going again. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've got Craig Hodges, the Warriors GM of football, coming on after 10 o'clock. And uh, if you want to talk to him or you want to get a question into him about uh, what the Warriors are doing in terms of uh, recruitment, building a squad for the future, and, and maybe being able to secure players so they're not having to let guys like you and I can go, uh, then fire those through on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. We've had a you through. Thanks to Ryan. Uh, he has sent one through. Tony's also sent one through. So thanks, guys. Keep those coming through on double eight double three. Also coming up on the show this hour. Um, after Mel, we're going to get uh, Louis Herman Watt in a little bit earlier for his uh, Love Racing update, so we'll get stuck in and maybe get you a few more tips to boost that uh, TAB account ahead of the weekend as well. And I know that there will probably be uh, more on it uh, coming up in news and sport over the next little while, but uh, it has uh, been uh, revealed today that uh, uh, Ryan Fox is uh, looking forward to that Millbrook Resort uh, Coronet layout, and he is going to be a big part of that Millbrook Classic Challenge as well, that is uh, coming up for you uh, golf fans here in NZ. Time to get the news and sport now with Araha Hathaway. Well, Sophie Ackerson is the fifth England bowler to take a fiver in the World Cup tournaments. Anya Shrubsol, Sarah Collier, Laura Marsh, Jill Smith, the previous bowlers to do so. Take them off, yes, that's a clean stumping. That is a haul of six wickets for the world number one, Sophie Eccleston. And she completes the downfall of South Africa. All out for 156. England have trounced South Africa in the semi-final by 137 runs. And England make a second consecutive final. 
Yeah, 28 away from 10 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Well, he is on World Cup duty. Uh, someone else that's on World Cup duty, but it's uh, taken some time out to join us to talk uh, the Cricket World Cup is uh, Mel Jones. G'day, Mel. How are you doing? Very well indeed. How's, how's Wellington uh, been treated? How's that experience, mate? Um, I understand the weather's been, uh, been, been uh, interesting. <laughs> it hasn't been kind, that's for sure. So, no, we... Uh, we couldn't get out of Wellington yesterday because of um, fog, so missed the second semi-final in Christchurch. So um, enjoyed walking around, exploring it a little bit more, and then yeah, hopefully out today. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, and, and best of luck getting out today. Um, uh, so you can cover <laughs> yeah. that final on on Sunday. Because uh, yesterday, I, I think you know, congratulations to England, and that's great. But I think we're all a little bit disappointed this game wasn't closer, given what we'd seen from South Africa through the uh, through the round robin. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and just, well, it's almost the, the norm of the competition too. I think we had 12 games of the 28 round games that went down to the wire down to the last over, sort of eight balls um, with people not knowing which way it was going to go. It's, um, it's sort of unprecedented, particularly in the 50 over format. Mm. So it's sort of, I think everyone's been spoilt by that through the round game. So we're just expecting now you sort of get down to the final four that that trend would continue. But um, yeah, both semi-finals have been reasonably one-sided, which makes me just think that we're just saving ourselves for Sunday. For saving ourselves for Sunday and the, and the two <laughs> yeah. two best teams definitely in the final? Um, oh, yeah, probably debatable, I guess, in, in some ways. Um, England had that very dodgy start, didn't they, mm. where they went um, zip and three and had to basically play a final each and every game to get all the way through. And they've, they've certainly found something um, which has been super impressive. Um, I, I thought South Africa were brilliant right throughout as well. Um, I think it's, I'm certainly not going to compare them to the men's team at all, but saying it out loud, I probably have. But I think their, their hashtag is always rising and they've, they've been setting themselves for this World Cup um, for the last probably eight years. Um, so for them just to yeah, falter at that second last step was, was a bit of a shame. But um, quality all around the competition, but I think, yeah, these two teams will match up well. Now, Mel, a lot of people will be watching this in New Zealand, watching the uh, this this World Cup as a tournament, and I know there's been a lot of that talk about the the quality of the cricket, and as you touched on as well, how close the games have been. Because previously, you know, you've seen these tournaments happen, but there've been blowouts after blowouts after blowouts until you get to kind of the semi final stage. So, I mean, I yeah. don't know from from your point of view, has it been a surprise um, how close the games have been in general, and 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 how much the quality of cricket around the world has come up? I'm um, certainly not surprised about the, the quality of cricket. It's, it's fantastic that you don't always get teams bringing their best performance all at the same, you know, four weeks, five weeks kind of thing. Um, yeah. And particularly over the last five-year cycle, it's been extended by the year because of COVID. We've had a number of teams who didn't play one one-day international for, for two years between 2019 and 2021. Uh, so for, for those teams to be able to, to find a way within the last 12, 18 months to get themselves prepared and ready for this is, you know, it's certainly hats off to them. So, yeah, certainly not not surprised by by the quality. I, I would say, though, massive hats off to all the, the ground staff around New Zealand because they have produced outstanding grounds and outstanding pitches that have really provided quality competition between bat and ball, and that's just absolutely critical for the game of cricket. Um, and it's brought spinners in, it's brought the pace bowlers, um, it's brought, you know, 
that is the, the power game and touch. It, it's brought absolutely every every player into the game. So, yeah, a huge thanks to them. Yeah, that was something. It was a stat that came up in the game yesterday, actually, that surprised me a bit was uh, the division of wickets between pace bowlers and, and, and spin bowlers. And, you know, I mean, New Zealand being, I think, second in the list of the most uh, pace wickets with with 20. Uh, it it yeah. feels like those pitches, as you say, have, have, have really given something to everybody. And uh, New Zealand traditionally hasn't been great for spinners like you know if you look at our test team uh, when we play yeah. very rarely do we name a, t- a spinner in our 11 if we're playing at home so uh, that's yeah. been a that's been a pleasant surprise yeah um, look yeah it has and I think when you sort of look at the grounds too because um, grounds have been used for, for multiple games you've got sort of got fresh pitches which you've got a bit of pace and bounce and a bit of greenery on the top um, which is fantastic so the sort of the seamers came through then and then as, as the grounds are used more and more, then you know they've got a little bit more worn and it brought the spinners into the game. Uh, but they still had the bounce there as well, so it still allowed the pace bowlers to have a little bit of fun. Um, so yeah, it was just a it's, a it's a wonderful combination. I think most spinners will also say too if it's if it's green, they can turn it on it as well. So um, yeah. Wonderful display from the from the North and the South Islands. Now, from uh, an outsider looking in at the uh, at the White Ferns team, uh, it's been a disappointment mm-hmm. for us as fans. Obviously, I mean they had such a great lead up, beating India four one in that series. Um, you know they they tonked Aussie as well in that warm up game when they chased down three hundred and twenty six yeah. and lost one wicket. I mean, uh, from the outside looking in, what what do you think went wrong for the White Ferns? Yeah, um, look, it's a tough one to try and it'd be a nice little study on it. I, I look back to 2020 in the T20 World Cup in Australia and just the, the weight of expectation on the Australian team to win it. And I don't think people understand that until they're actually in the team. And to have a Home World Cup where all the talk is, last time we hosted a Home World Cup, we won it back in 2000. Um, that's a whole different ball game and something that I don't know if you can actually seriously prepare people for until they're actually in it. You can do all your best and you can get off social media and you can do all those sorts of things. So I, I would hazard a guess that there was a little bit of that, of just dealing with the expectation. Um, and then when you they had a magnificent series against India, as you said, but it's a, it's a bilateral, so you can sort of get into a groove, you're in one spot, you're playing the one opposition. Um, Tournament-style play is such a different beast. Um, and when you're you know, unfortunately for them, they lost that first one against the West Indies, which, you know, they probably should have won. Mm. And then you add that to the expectation and when they're travelling uh, they probably travelled the most around the country too I, I would say um, and so if you've got people with injuries I'm not too sure how much uh, tipping so probably carried a back injury for, for quite some time leads to who who with the hammy you're on planes you're travelling all those sorts of things it would have been I think it was probably a lot of little factors rather than just one big one. Yeah, that, that, that added up to that. Now, of course, uh, you could be, uh, I, I suppose we could accuse you of, of, of having uh, uh, being in, a, in, a, in an no-lose situation. Of course, born in England, uh, grew, grew <laughs> up in Australia. This this final's perfect for you, isn't it, Mel? Uh, well Googled. Um, look, no, my mum was just travelling. She was just travelling through. We, she happened to be there and we got straight back on the plane and came back to Oz. So. <laughs> um, no, look, uh, look, yeah, lots of, I've still got family over in England, um, but no, 100% well and truly on the green and gold bandwagon for Sunday. Um, so, yeah, hoping that they can go through uh, undefeated. If they win this World Cup, which seems more likely than not, given what we've seen so far, will it be the most dominant performance of any team to win a World Cup, do you think? Uh, yeah, look, um, Australian teams have gone through undefeated before, Um but I think the world was different back then as well. The competitive nature just wasn't there as much. Yes, you had probably, you know, 
four quality sides, but um, the rest sort of making up the, the competitions um, back then were still probably in their infancy in terms of international cricket, whereas that's completely different now. Um, so, yeah, without a doubt, the most dominant. And, you know, for me, looking at Australian sport, I would also put them in the bracket of one of our best ever sporting teams, um, men's or women's across the sports. Uh, if you think that they've only lost two games since the last World Cup cycle, um, and a streak of 26 in amongst that, um, that's pretty impressive. And, I mean, and to do it the way they've done it, particularly in that semi-final against the Windies without Elise Perry, who's, you know, I mean, I, I was talking to Matt, uh, the, the coach of, of the Australian team the other day, and, you know, sort of we were talking about her in the, in the same breath as, as a Jacques Callis in terms of opening the bowling and batting four. She's such an important player, yeah. and such a great player. To then be able to just waltz through a semi-final without her as well just shows how strong that team is across the board. Yeah, and you've got to remember too, there's three players sitting at home who had injuries just before coming over here. So they were selected in the team to start with. So George Wareham, Sophie Molnier and Tay Vilenic. So there's three other players that have come into this side to replace them. Um, and that goes to, you know, a big part of the reason why the Australian team's done so well over the last, you know, cycle is that their, their depth coming through the game off the back of you know, the WBBL and the WNCL and the 50 over cricket um, has been, you know, a big, big driver of that. So, yeah, if you do lose someone, I think, you know, most teams, if they lost a, an Elise Perry-style player in their side before before a semi, they'd be you know, a bit of panic stations, but um, that's not the case for Australia. No, not at all. Now, last time these two teams met uh, was in the first round of round robin, and Australia set 310 or 311 for England to win, and they got to 298 for, for eight. Uh, so, I mean, it was a it was a decent chase. Uh, they just couldn't quite get there. How tight do you see the final being? Yeah, it was a cracking game. That, that, that uh, second game was absolutely brilliant. Matt Sivers 100 was, um, yeah, one of the, the best you've seen. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, England will take a lot from that. We, we had the Ashes series just before we came over here, and Australia was very dominant in the one-day internationals. Um, so you're sort of wondering what England would sort of put on the park in that in that first game. Um, and they were, they were great. I think both bowling sides would probably be disappointed with, with their efforts. Um, Sophie Eccleston went to none to 77 mm. in that game. And then you flip that around to, you know, her sixth for last night. And you can just sort of say that I think England have packed that game up and sent it home that first one, and they're they're just purely focused focused on on Sunday's game. Um, so I can still see it being tight. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any stretch. There does seem to be a, a thing, and I guess you know it gets it gets talked about here as being a bit like the All Blacks. You know, um, when they they have that aura about them, teams tend to go out. Uh, mentally they're already 10 points down before they get out there when they play yeah. the All Blacks it feels a bit like that particularly from a New Zealand point of view whenever we play an Australian cricket team and I, I get that feeling about the Poms as well Yeah and and that's probably like I mentioned before the depth you know you, you can get through Healy, Haynes and Lanning and you've still got Perry and Mooney and Agrada come in you know so <laughs> there's, sort of, there's, that, there's that no relief usually I think you can sort of look at the side and think okay so they've got bowler X, Y and Z uh, okay, we can attack here, and, and these players can match up well here. Um, so you can sort of find your way into a, into a game, um, but it's it's difficult with the Australian team at the moment because whoever comes in with the with the bat or the ball is either you know ranked top ten in the world, or has had a magnificent tournament, or is you know the best young gun coming through, or something along those lines. So it's it's hard to try and figure out as a coach, you know, Lisa Kylie, to try and say where's where's the chink in the armour in, how can we exploit it.
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough road. The Australian women looking really good for the uh, for the victory. You got to think uh, they're definitely strong favourites. But looking forward to that final being played out on Sunday. Mel, thanks very much for giving us so much of your time. Really appreciate it. Have a great call and safe travels. Hope you stay dry. Yeah, thanks so much. And thanks for supporting the World Cup too. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. It's been a great tournament. Mel Jones, the former Australian cricketer, now part of that commentary team for the Cricket World Cup. She'll be part of the team covering the final from Hagley over 1pm on Sunday afternoon. You can catch the final commentary here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, reviews and more. And uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, is back in studio with us. You, you're right there, mate. You're just re- rewiring the studio for us. You're plugging that in, plugging this in, moving that around. You good? It's a weekend for the punters. It's a weekend for Sing the punters. Sing it with me. It's a weekend, weekend for, for the, the punters. punters. All so, right. Oh, so long as I don't have to wrap it, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Notorious yeah. Rick Dog. <laughs> Notorious Kemp E. K-M-P. <laughs> K-E-Z. Hey, uh, I'm serious, you know. There's just absolutely no reason we don't we don't take the Mickey Allen this weekend. Yeah, okay. Where is... And I'm and I'm not putting this all on you, but where would you suggest I might find some value? <laughs> I think I might have. T- I think I might have um, spat my dummies at I. Um, well, look, we start at Waverley today. Mm. It's a dead track there at Waverley. A funny old track, lovely little country track. Race three, hold the press. Good talented horse. We're waiting for the press statement mare to go bang. Charlotte O'Byrne can ride. Uh, good barrier. Three dollars is enough value for me. Bear in mind the John O'Bennett Holly Wynyard stable has had a torrid old time of it for whatever reason this season. But they are good trainers. They are excellent horse people today at Waverley. That's my best of the day. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, yeah. we can get stuck into Awapuni. Okay. And I'll give you a little market update. On the bubbles, uh, well, in race four at Awapuni, Opie Boston said that he's not worried about on the bubbles getting the trip. He hasn't budged off $2.10. That's despite... Pinarello in the famous Cambridge stud colours coming in from $7 to $5. This is the horse we spoke about yesterday who loves the distance and is going to get the run of the race from barrier four. Hopefully he doesn't get too far off them. Uh, Ling Zhong Zhong Fen down there uh, from a wider gate is still value at $10 and two eighty. On the bubbles, they haven't drifted him, but Pinarello has to be the favourite in that affair for me. Dynastic in race six, the feature on the card. Opie Bosson loves him, says he's been working well, but he did mention that Maven Bell maybe even worked better than the Almanzor Colt. Although with these Colts, sometimes they can save it for race day and you expect Opie to get the best out of him. All the respect in the world to Lickety Split, but Dynastic on top for me. And uh, across the ditch, Rick Dog, mm. we've got Group One galore. Group One's galore at Randwick. Um, it's a massive day of racing there. And for any Nature Strip fans out there, I just caution you because they've had more rain. Chris Waller literally mm. said they've had about a meter of rain wow. in the last week, which is just a sickening amount. And yeah. the track will be bottomless. It'll be heavy. It'll be that sticky, muddy kind of heavy as well. 
and there's different types of heavy. And Nature Strip's already had a, a torrid run on one of those and lost to Eduardo. He's drawn out wide. Eduardo's got barrier three. I think the odds are wrong here. I think Eduardo should be the $2.80 favourite and Nature Strip should be three sixty. I'm not saying Nature Strip can't win, but I'm saying he's going to have to be absolutely the world's best sprinter to do it because Eduardo's not far off the world's best sprinter. Shout out to Rock and Horse and Bellucci Babe and the Sammy Williams uh, Lavendale stud colours, but Eduardo for me there. So there's a smattering. Yeah, it's good, mate. That's good. We've got lots there, lots to dive into. Louis, thanks for coming in, hanging around after breakfast and doing that Love Racing update for us, loveracing.nz, for your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Yeah, we're a couple of minutes away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. No Smithy, he's on World Cup duty. Ricardo Ball with you through to midday today. Just a reminder to tune in to SENZ every Sunday from 11 o'clock for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show. Now, it's hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show 11 till 12 on Sunday. And actually, I noticed that there's a lot of action coming out of Addington today for you dog fans. And race 7. Uh, which runs at about 10 past 1. Uh, look, If you're looking for something that's got a, a bit of value, you can't go past deep value, I think. It's number 5, trained by uh, Jason Dunn. Had three wins on the trot, paying $3 and $1.30. So might be one worth uh, looking at. No doubt Rosso would uh, put me right and say, mate, what are you What are you doing? You're dreaming. Go Hazel at two fifty and $1.25 is the way to go. Well, that is the favourite, but uh, I think deep value has the value at three bucks and uh, well worth looking at uh, that uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand Dog Speed Show 11 to 12 every Sunday right here on SENZ. Coming up after 10 o'clock, Craig Hodges, the Warriors General Manager of Football, is going to join us. If you've got a question for Craig, the direction of the club, what they're hoping for in 2023, then flick us a text on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. We will put your questions to Craig. That's coming up after the latest in news and sport with Araha Hathaway right now. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, Smithy is on World Cup duty. Ricardo Ball in with you through till midday today. Uh, coming up this hour, we do have the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Ross Carl from Sky Sports and Hamish Bidwell are going to join us. We're going to talk NRL. We're going to talk Super Rugby. We're going to talk the Cricket World Cup Final. And uh, we're also going to talk uh, COVID and the impact uh, on athletes going forward as well. But uh, time right now uh, to talk to the General Manager of Football for... For the Warriors, Craig Hodges, he joins us. G'day, Craig, how you doing? Good morning, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate, good. How's, how's Redcliffe? I'm just, I'm sitting out front of our office now as the sun's coming up at 7 o'clock here in the morning over here and it's a beautiful blue sky and a perfect day today. We've had so much rain over here the last few months, but today's a postcard. Oh, mate, that's good to hear, and thanks for getting up so so damn early. I forget that uh, Queensland does, doesn't do the daylight savings thing, so makes it that, that much earlier. Yeah, Definitely up at the Sparrows fart for us. Nah, that's all right. We're in here fairly early every day. So, good stuff, mate, good stuff. How, how are you settling into the new role, and how does this role differ to the role that Peter O'Sullivan held? Well, uh, firstly, I'll answer the second part first. Peter was a recruitment officer, so he, he just did recruitment uh, for the club. 
so my role, I sort of oversee a lot of the different departments. I do the recruitment as well. And then um, on top of that, as a part of this uh, GM role, uh, but I oversee our medical, our welfare, our training, our high performance, our, our um, yeah, our, um, you know, all, all our different um, areas that make up our football department. So um, it's an exciting role. And, and the first part of your question, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's very different to coaching of, of what's been in coaching. So in coaching, your, your day and your week is very structured. You know exactly that we have to show this video today and we've got this training session and as a GM, uh, you can drive to work in the morning and I normally get in here about six o'clock and you've got a clear idea in your head of what you're, um, you know, what you're going to do for the day. You've got a couple of things that you need to attack early and then you get one phone call about something and then your whole day spirals out of control in a completely different direction. So it's a, um, uh, this role is very unstructured and, and uh, unscripted compared to coaching. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a much bigger role than what Peter was doing. Obviously, he 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 has been a loss. But uh, from a recruitment point of view, which is part of your remit, has has anything changed in terms of the direction the club's going from what Peter was trying to do to to, to what you are overseeing? Uh, probably not consciously, but subconsciously, we probably look for different things. Um, Peter really likes um, talented athletic players. Um, myself, I really like um, hard-working, competitive players. So we really want to try and bring some competitors into the club. Um, I'm going to have, have a strong focus uh, also oversee our, our Pathways and Development Program along with the guys that are on the ground in New Zealand. And we're going to have a really strong focus on, on developing, um, you know, creating a program that develops uh, the young guys in our country to come through and be able to play first grade. But not just play first grade, play first grade to a level where we can win competitions. Um, so that's a great challenge for us um, with that. But to start with, we're, we are and um, we'll be recruiting some guys to help with that, to bring in that sort of mentality, that real hard edge to them, that, that um, real competitiveness. And they'll help the young guys in our NRL squad immediately, like Rocco Berry and Eli Katoa and... Um, Billy Armavala and and the you know all these Reese Walsh all these young guys that we've got that are uh, 21 and under uh, these guys will help them no end and then uh, we'll set the standard for the generations to come through the Pathways program. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really good. I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I wanted to ask you about. And I, and I know that you know things have changed a lot in the last ten years. But if you looked at the way the club was travelling uh, when Ivan Cleary was there, a big part of that success was due to the under twenties program that we had. Um, obviously, things have changed in that department. But you look at sort of what the Panthers have put in place and and that that youth system they've got to a real machine and a real key to their success. So as re looking at that part of your remit as well? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's an area that we can get great improvement in and it's an area that I'm very passionate about. So we we're lucky enough to have uh, Phil Gould involved for a short period of time with us. So we picked his brains um, as much as we could on things they'd done at the Panthers and, and uh, stuff like that. I, I was lucky myself. I had um, four or five years at the Broncos where I coached the under-20s and, and worked with their um, elite pathways program. So... Uh, when Gus was setting up the Panthers program, he actually came up and spent some time with the at the Broncos to uh, go through everything that we were doing there in those days. So I feel like we've got a really good, um, you know, really good base. Sorry, I've just got a truck going past me. <laughs> You're right, mate. The road. Um, I feel like we've got a really good um, um, starting base to be able to um, uh, put some things in place to be able to help us build the type of program that we want. Um, and like I said, we're we're looking to 
for it to be genuinely a leap program. There's, there's lots of other programs around the country that'll encourage participation, but we're looking for an elite program that develops premiership winning NRL players. Yeah, and that's what we want to see. Uh, I did I did put out through the oh, last absolutely. hour that we were going to be talking to you today and ask for people to put their questions forward as well. You know, every time we talk Warriors on SENZ, the text machine blows up, mate. We uh, There's plenty of passionate fans out there. Um, Vaughan has asked a question, and he said, we're a breeding ground when it comes to backs in either league or union. Why do we seem to be missing talent in that area at the moment and we're needing to resort to signing guys that have maybe failed at other Australian clubs Yeah I think um, I, I think we've got some really good young kids coming through in Rocco Berry outstanding young kid um, uh, Billy Armavello like I said is a, is a um, Billy's a, a uh, exciting prospect, Ed Cossey's a young guy, all these guys are under 20 and they're outstanding guys coming through um, one of the challenges we've had in the past we've got Della Martini's Lesniak back now who's the current New Zealand captain uh, come back to us, and, and, and he's a great example of some of those guys that um, we, we miss out on to start with. You know, they've either gone to Australian clubs at a young age, or they've been uh, they've actually moved to Australia at a young age. And we want to provide a, you know an opportunity and a pathway for those guys to come back too. Um, the I, I agree with the sentiment, but if we get our pathways program right to your to your um, person that asked your question you know these these young kids will have no desire to go to the australian clubs i'll have no desire to leave us and we won't have to go looking for um aussie kids then we'll we'll have a program that builds and and creates the players that we need and we won't need to look outside our program too often and when we do look outside it will just be to get the absolute elite well, I was going to say that's that's probably another another question because it, it, it is two sides of the same coin. But uh, recruitment versus development—how do they coexist, and how do you balance it? Well, in a, in a nutshell, in the short term, we'll be a recruitment club. We're putting together a side. You know, our, our current NRL side is a recruited side, and then over the next three to five years, uh, we want to phase into being a development club. That gives us gives ourselves time to. Um, build the pathways program that we need and want uh, to put the things in place and to allow the 14 and 15 year old kids that we identify at the moment to allow them to be developed and educated and brought through the system and be old enough to be playing first grade so uh, in, in a nutshell that's what we that's the basic bones of where we sit at the moment without without boring you with a bucket load of detail we're, we're uh, We've recruited a lot of guys at the moment and in the next three to five years we'll uh, phase over to being a development club and then it's like planting a tree. Um, once that tree starts to uh, uh, bear fruit, we'll, um, you know, it'll, it'll bear fruit forever. So you know, if we, if we um, water and nurture and look after the seedling properly, and that's the, that's the position we're in at the moment, our Pathways program is a seedling. If we look after it uh, properly and develop it, um, it'll become something that'll, that'll feed our club for a long, long time. And now the, another message we had through was from Ryan, and I think he might be fishing for a job here, mate, but he, he did say, you know, <laughs> we've had, had so many great warriors come out of the South Island, guys like Simon Mannering uh, and Lewis Brown, etc. Uh, it's a great uh, uh, history of, of producing great players. Uh, how do you go about identifying and recruiting players out of the South Island? Do you have people down there watching, or is that something that you oversee uh, and, and you see it from a broader base? No, we, we absolutely have people down there. We have, um, you know, we've got Grant Polkington and Tony Oro that are um, in the office at Auckland and they're constantly speaking to all their different contacts and networks around the around the whole country, um, not just the South Island or 
but they're, they're, they're talking to people all the time. They're extremely well-connected men, and they're out watching all sorts of games, from schoolboy games to weekend games to um, any tips they get on people um, through that network that they've got. Um, they'll go and follow them up. And, um, so we've got a, we, we do have a network of people out there, and that network's growing and getting stronger uh, and more reliable uh, by the day. That's no, fantastic, Ryan. There you go. Just get your CV into Tony Ito, and uh, you, you might you might be away. You might be away. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of your recruitment, Craig. Of course, uh, Dylan Walker was a big signing a couple of weeks ago that was announced. Um, what's the plan for Dylan Walker with the Warriors, uh, as you see it? I mean, he can play centre, obviously, and that's a position we've talked about. We could use some experience in. He, he's played six before. Or do you see him as a fourteenth man? Where does he sit? Well, first and foremost, Dylan fits into that category I was talking about, about extremely competitive men. Clubs he's been at have been uh, winning clubs. They win games of football, whether that be Rabbitohs or Manly. Uh, he knows how to win, and he competes hard every day of the week. So that was important for us. The, the second part of it is I've already spoke about the talent of the younger guys we've got, all these under-20s guys, our two centres, our full-back. Uh, they're all extremely young. So what Dylan does... Dylan can come in and provide assistance to all those guys um, if they're in form slumps or if they have um, uh, injuries and they're out for a small period of time. He can fill their position without blocking their pathway. So Dylan's not just a left centre for argument's sake and then blocks the pathway of one of those young guys. He can he can play centre, uh, he can play fullback, he can play in the halves, he can play lock, he can play second row. And, and if everybody's fit and healthy and firing, he can just sit in that number 14 position and come on in, the, in any position that's required during the game. So I feel he's an extremely valuable player for us uh, on and off the field. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great addition. You've got, you've got other uh, great additions as well. One of those is Luke Metcalf, um, who, who's coming in next year out of the Sharks. Um, do you think he's going to come into the club as a half predominantly, or is, is he a backup option if we lose Reese Walsh and, and, and you see him more as a fullback? Uh, the, the club's identified him as a half. They, they were, he was recruited before I got into this role, but he's an exciting prospect, and they identified him as a half, but... He certainly spent a lot of time as a junior player and an emerging player at fullback, so he, so he does give us coverage there for Reese if anything goes down. Um, having these guys that have some versatility about them is fantastic for us and only makes us stronger. Um, they can play NRL in two or three different positions, and that's, uh, that's outstanding for all of us. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, mate. Of course, uh, Marata Niakore is coming in next season as well. So things looking good for next season on the recruitment front. But what about the players that we're losing? We've heard that you and Aitken uh, wants out for family reasons. I'm not sure about where that comes from or any of the background of that, but it, it just feels disappointing that once the Warriors are going to be back in New Zealand next year, this bloke doesn't want to hang around. There's some talk about Matt Lodge potentially not uh, signing a contract extension as well. Um and, you know, obviously there's been the Reese Walsh rumours as well. In terms of a contract, when you go give these guys a contract, is there anything in there that, that, that uh, you know, stipulates, hey, look, you know, um, family reasons or, you know, in inverted commas, isn't a good enough reason for you to break this contract? I mean, how are you guys handling that going forward? No, we're, we're, in terms of Reese, we've got no, we're, we've got no worries there. I mean, that's, we're, we're pretty confident that that's been started by some of these Australian clubs over here that would like to get their hands on him. But Reese is happy where he is and he's, he's um, enjoying his football and he's excited to be moving to New Zealand. Uh, Ewan's one is a unique one and, and I've 
uh, out of respect to him, I won't go into details with it, but it's certainly nothing against the Warriors or um, or New Zealand. For him, he's just not able to, for personal reasons, he's just not able to move over at the moment. Those reasons weren't there when he signed a couple of years ago. So um, we, we understand that, and I know that sounds a bit... Uh, I'm being a bit vague there, but I'm, I'm just doing that out of respect for... Um, Ewan and what he's done for us, he'll be a big loss for us. He's been fantastic mm. and and uh, done a great job for our club. But he has, uh, yeah. There's certainly no ill feeling from him towards the Warriors or New Zealand as a country, for that matter. He he, um, it's just a it's something that's happened and, and uh, he's had to deal with it. And this is the way that it has to be dealt with. So um, it is what it is. It's an unfortunate one. And uh, Matt's off contract, so um, you know there's. He's got some different options, and he's and he's, you know, he's weighing up those options and going through that himself. But um, you know, and hopefully in the next week or two, we've spoke about uh, Murata, we've spoke about Dylan and Luke that are coming next year. Hopefully, in the next week or two, we'll be able to name one or two more that'll, um, you know, that'll that'll really excite the people back home as well. Well, Chris had had, had just messaged through. What about Marty Depow? Unwanted at Manly next year. What chances of him being in a Warriors jersey? You, can you give us anything on yeah. that? <laughs> well, Marty's very expensive, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and we've got some, uh, <laughs> we've got some pretty good front rowers in Adam Blake and Torhu Harris. Uh, I, I expect Torhu will move into the middle more as his career goes. Particularly coming back from a um, knee reconstruction, he can play middle and edge. But uh, I think he'll be in there. And Josh Curran's doing a great job at lock, so it's um, uh, it's a position we're reasonably comfortable in at the moment. But you never know. You never know. You never know. Hey, Craig, thanks very much for giving us so much of your time. We really appreciate it. Go well, mate. Best luck against the Broncos this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can talk again soon, eh? No, thanks for having me on, and I really enjoy everything your station does. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks very much, Craig. Really appreciate it. Craig Hodges there, the General Manager of Football from the Warriors. Coming up next, it is the Dilmar Expertise Panel, Ross Carl and Hamish Bidwell. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. 10.23 here on Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. It is the Dilmar Expertise Panel and uh, joining us on the panel today out of Sky Sports is Ross Carl. G'day, Ross. G'day, Matt. And uh, Hamish Bidwell as well uh, out of the Hawks Bay. How you doing, Hamish? I'm very well, mate. I'm on my way to the golf club. So, oh, uh, you weekend ahead. Yeah, very. You're doing very well. Uh, cricket uh, Saturday and Sunday, so eleven blokes in a house. What could go wrong for a couple of nights? Fantastic. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to start with that. Um, so I might just we might just park it till later. Um, <laughs> uh, don't, don't ask me how I'm feeling on Monday. I won't be good. No, no, exactly, mate, exactly. Hey, actually, on that um, and, and bouncing back from things, maybe not so much self-induced though. Uh, it's something that we are seeing come out. Sully Fitzpatrick's talked about it. Lydia Coe's talked about it. I know some of the Super Rugby guys have talked about it as well, but. Uh, maybe start with you on this one, Ross. Uh, are, are teams rushing players back after COVID and, and risking further health problems? I mean, we've we've seen uh, some reports that suggest once you've recovered from COVID, it's best not to do anything too uh, exercise-worthy, if you like, uh, for about a month because it apparently increases the chances of long COVID. What are you seeing and hearing around that? Well, I suppose it's difficult to know exactly because it's hard to know who's got COVID and who doesn't because it's being kept relatively private, it seems, until it's all over, you know, and they're back playing. And that's, they're right, you know, that's personal medical information and no one needs to know. And maybe we're lucky in some ways that we get to know a lot of the players 
personal medical information um, because it's not as of right, is it? But look, I think that we know that there's a culture within sport, and I've harped on about this before, of racing players back, whether it's a hamstring injury, whether it's concussion, or, or now we're learning about this with COVID and long COVID, that coaches, players, even medical staff, like to get players back as soon as possible. How often do we hear a six to eight week stint on the sideline is suddenly four weeks or a year <laughs> out no longer requires surgery? You know, all of these things are things we hear constantly and it's because there's a culture of trying to get players back on the field immediately because we pay them to be there because they're world-class and we need them ASAP. And then the injuries go on and on. We hear about these niggles that they've had forever because they, they haven't been rested. They need them back playing. And in some places, it's seen as a badge of honour. You know, think about the legendary moments in New Zealand sport. Buck Shelford playing with a torn scrotum. Um, you know, Colin Meads with a broken arm. Richie McCaw with a broken foot. And it's lauded as glamorous and heroic. Um, and so it's kind of seen that way. You've got to do your bit for the team and soldier on. So, look, I wouldn't be surprised if plenty of players are going through these protocols but being rushed back a little early, and how could we ever know? Yeah, well, that is that is a good point. Uh, Hamish, I mean, is the onus here on the athlete to make a stand and say, I'm not ready to come back, or, or, or should it be with the, the team doctor slash head coach? There's a couple of things here. So you mentioned Sulu Fitzpatrick, and I've, I've read about that situation, I've seen Sharon Kearney from Netball New Zealand quote, and Sharon's really reputable. Um, Netball New Zealand have a really good history of player welfare. You know, you have people playing on the way back from babies, like Amelia Ann Nicanasio is at the moment, and so that's a graduated return. Um, other times I've, I've known of players playing pregnant. I can remember having a thoroughly awkward conversation with Jolene Henry after a game. I said, oh, I hear you're pregnant. She was like, no, I've just been eating a lot of pies. And I was like, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and uh, we went around the bases and she said, no, no, I'm not pregnant. I said, Fedek, I'm, I'm just asking you straight up, are you pregnant? She was like, nah. And then I bumped into Y, who was Silver Ferns coach, straight afterwards. And I asked her and she was like, hey, Miss, even if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. But Jolene was pregnant and she eventually said, look, I'm sorry about that. But like they, um, yeah, they, they have experience with bringing players back and looking after them. Ross mentioned rugby. I mean, I, can, I could cite, I won't because... I get myself in the strike, but I can cite instances of players coming back from head knocks too soon. Guys who exhibited uh, symptoms didn't go through the protocols; they were fudged, and you're a team man. And conversely, guys who kept complaining of symptoms and things when uh, you're no good to us, mate, and they've been cut, you know, like lost their contracts because they seem to be being weak and not putting the team first. So, in terms of COVID, we're in the infancy of this, aren't we? And this sort of we've got some anecdotal reports, really, but we don't have enough sort of uh, evidence or, or uh, cases to be able to sort of make a definitive call on whether COVID is, is a situation where people are being brought back too quickly, but certainly um, in other circumstances we do know that it happens. Yeah, we do, we do, and uh, I guess it's something that you know, we're going to learn about and uh, deal with as it rolls out because I, don't, I still don't think everybody really knows what the long effects of that will be. Um, let's move on to Super Rugby uh, then, and Ross, uh, we've got you know Super Rugby Pacific. It seems like we've managed to park COVID to an extent uh, for uh, in terms of postponing games, so we have full rounds. I mean, tonight we've got the Crusaders, Highlanders, the Drua Waratahs, tomorrow it's the Blues, Moana Pacific for the second time in five days. The Reds, Brumbies out of Brisbane, and and the Chiefs, Canes as well. Uh, I mean, it, if if I only had time this weekend to watch one Super Rugby game, Ross, which I know probably sounds like heresy to you, but if if that was the case, which <laughs> game should I be picking? 
look, if I looked at that lineup, I'd like to see the Blues Moana Pacifica again um, because I feel like Moana Pacifica are a team, despite the fact they're playing for the third time in eight days, and that's got to be difficult um, in a Super Rugby situation. You know, never mind what we see in the Bunnings NPC. It's really, really difficult in a Super Rugby situation to play three in eight days. But what we've seen from them is a tremendous amount of heart. You know, they came out the back end of COVID, and if anything's done them the worst deal. They've ended up with three games in eight days. They've ended up in a place where they're trying to prove themselves with their backs against the wall. Uh, they're changing their squad up once again to try to get through this kind of storm week. And I just feel like there's something special brewing in there. And that something special doesn't mean that they're going to go all the way. It doesn't even mean they're going to make the playoffs. But what we're seeing is a team with heart that really has something to play for and is giving it their all, and that's what I want to turn up and see each week. So I'd like to see them run the Blues close again. Maybe they can't win. The Blues on paper probably are far too good. But that's another game that I want to watch just because I'm inspired by what Moana Pacifica are doing right now. Yeah. What, what about you, Hamish? I mean, that uh, I think that at the moment, the Moana Pacifica midfield of uh, Levi Amor and, and uh, Danny Tuala from down your way are, are one of the best midfields running around in Super Rugby. Which, which game uh, is standing out to you the most this weekend? Levi's done well. As far as I understand it, he was like a four-litre Coca-Cola a day man, you know, and he looks quite fit now. Yeah. No, and they'd try and wean him off it, and he'd get bad headaches because he was used to this as part of his lifestyle. Like, and he was heavy, and he wasn't the most professional, but he looks in good nick. He's playing quite well. Um, be the hurricanes for me this week. I just think after last week's pathetic effort, like, I, I said to you the other night, mate, that sometimes you have to shame teams into doing better, and if the Hurricanes aren't embarrassed, if they don't feel a bit of shame after the way they... You know, I mean, Ross is right. Moana Pacifica is a nice story. We're all sort of... They're probably everyone's second favourite team. We wish them well, but fair income. They're not elite sort of rugby team at this stage. You know, hopefully they can become one. For the Hurricanes to, to lose that game was an absolute disgrace. And I want to see what, if they can, you know, put up a creditable performance. I don't expect them to beat the Chiefs, but... Um, at least play with some pride. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll look forward to those. And no doubt Hamish uh, and that house full of blokes are going to be watching every game of Super Rugby this week in Ross. So we'll, uh, they might not remember any of them, but it sounds like they'll be watching them all. Uh, it is 10.31 here on SENZ. Uh, this is our Dilma Expertise Panel. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We will talk NRL. We'll talk the Cricket World Cup final as well. But right now it's time for News and Sport with Araha Hathaway. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Yeah, this is Mornings with Ian Smith, 27 away from 11 here with Ricardo filling in for Smithy uh, on SENZ and uh, part of our Dilma Expertise Panel. Uh, today, Ross Carl from Sky Sport, Hamish Bidwell as well. Dilma celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Hamish, of course, you mentioned that uh, you golf, uh, you're on the way to the golf club, you got a lot of cricket on this weekend. Uh, the Cricket World Cup final out of Hagley Park, 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Uh your thoughts? Um, is anybody going to uh, trip up Australia in this tournament? Well, before it started, you would have said England was the only team that they could do it. Um, they've got to the final by circuitous route, but in sort of black and white terms, we have the final that we expected. Um, England, yeah, they're, they're actually, well, they're getting better with every outing. Um, Kevin Knight, their captain at number three, still hasn't quite put the runs on the board. I would expect her to sort of to go well on this game, but Australia, they look bulletproof. And one of the things that they've done is they've 
they sort of utilised their squad really well. So everyone sort of got form, everyone's had game time, and everyone comes in and contributes. So, I mean, obviously there's a bit of doubt over Elise Perry, but I don't think they actually need her. Um, will there going to be a contest? I expect so. I think England are a really good team. I haven't... I mean, I last watched them in the matchup against Australia in their test at Canberra. Um, England should have won that. They sort of bottled it really badly at the end and ended up in a draw. It was quite thrilling, but... Um, yeah, they collapsed at the end when they had a run chase under control. So that'll that'll be in the back of a few minds, I expect, because um, they are the two elite teams. They have a lot of history. They have recent playing history against each other. So I'm picking Australia, but I, I genuinely predict it'll be a contest rather than some of the 50 to 100 points of walk in the park. Yeah, uh, run 100. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping you're right. I mean, uh, Ross, you know, it's been. I think for me, I was surprised at this tournament at how close so many of the games have been, uh, and then we get to the semi-finals and we have two blowouts. <laughs> I suppose these teams, the English and the Aussies, uh, are elite and have good backing and their players are, are, are very strong professionals and so over the course of a tournament they're going to build their way up to crescendo I suppose and what we saw was you know two very elite teams and we watched them give it to West Indies and South Africa <clears throat> and it really showed us how far away the uh, White Ferns are as well from these two elite teams that they couldn't even make the semis to get anywhere near, you know? Um, so it's going to be good to watch. It's hard to imagine it's not going to be Australia. Um, it was really, really cool to see, you know, Healy and, and Haynes getting the runs. And, you know, um, it should be a really, really good final. But I just can't imagine that the strength of that Australian team can be um, overcome. No, I don't think so either. That's, that's certainly the way it's looking. Uh, yeah, we've got... Uh, for... just, just on that, I really look out for Sophie Eccleston, the left-arm spinner from England. I, I believe she's the top wicket-taker in the tournament. She's actually outstanding, really hard to get away, and also just does enough with it to get players out. Like, she may be the, the key bowler for England. All right, well, yeah, definitely. Maybe, is, is, is that a TAB tip, Hamish, for the top wicket-taker in the final? <laughs> I would, if I... My wife would let me use the bank account. I would absolutely put the house on uh, on that. Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, good stuff, mate. We've got, uh, of course, round four of the NRL started last night. Um, I want to talk to you about the games you're looking forward to, but we should mention uh, Gold Coast versus West Tigers. Uh, this uh, tweet came out this morning from Scott Bailey from the Associated Press. I'd like to personally congratulate West Tigers versus North Queensland round eleven, two thousand and fifteen at Campbelltown for no longer being the worst NRL game this century. Hashtag Titans Tigers. Um, I don't know if you saw it, any of it last night, Ross, but uh, uh, it was 6-2 to the Tigers with a minute to go, um, which is low <laughs> scoring. By any, and then the Titans scored a converter try on 1-8-6 at the end. Um, so that was probably a forgettable game. But uh, in terms of what you're looking forward to most this weekend, is it the is it the, the rematch of the grand final, the Panthers up against the Rabbitohs, or is it something else? Yeah, oh, look, I... I don't have enough time to watch every NRL game over a weekend. By the time you put in the five Super Rugby games this weekend, add in all those NRL games and any other sport, you know, you're going to be in so much trouble with the wife and kids that there's no chance of coming back. So, you know, you've got to take those Thursday night opportunities to hang out with the, with the wife before it all turns to shit on the weekend. Um, but I, I, the only game that I will always watch each weekend is the Warriors game. Um, so I, I look forward to the Warriors-Broncos game, you know, through gritted teeth because, look, I can't imagine the Warriors are going to win that game. Um, hopefully, Sean Johnson, you know, comes off the extended reserves bench and can be back within the team um, if he's 100% fit and ready to rock and roll. 
Um, you know, and, and because I'm not convinced that Cody and Chanel are the hard pairing that's going to take this team through to the playoffs. So we really, really need to see Sean Johnson back. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't need to be 100% fit. We covered that off in the first half of the uh, Dilmar expertise <laughs> panel, didn't we, Hamish? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Is there a game that you're looking forward to this weekend in the NRL? Uh, it, would, it would be Warriors-Broncos, and, and not necessarily for the, the, the watching of it, but more the outcome. Like, I... I love it when coaches absolutely get it. There's this great quote. Um, there's a guy, Kelvin McKenzie, who was the editor of The Sun, and he was having a regular chat to John Major, which he used to do, who was Prime Minister of Britain at the time. And uh, he said, Kelvin, please don't be too hard on me in the paper tomorrow. And he said, let me put it to you this way, Prime Minister. I've got a great steaming bucket of shit in my office, and tomorrow I'm going to tip it all over your head. And like, I love that kind of thing. Like, I love... Coaches under the pump. Like, I'm so happy to see Michael Maguire squirming and looking gloomy when the Tigers lost last night. I want Nathan Brown under the pump because that's the only way you can get changed. If the Warriors can snivel a few wins here and there, then the status quo will remain, and I don't think it'll take the club anywhere. I think that guy's not up for the job. I think culturally they're signing some pretty dubious characters. Look at Dylan Walker coming. They had a dart for Jack DeBellin. Matt Lodge is still on the team. Like, I just, I don't like the culture they're building there. I don't think it's particularly New Zealand-centric. I think it's quite a bit on Aussies and maybe some ratbag Aussies and I'd like to see change there so not necessarily to watch the calibre of football Broncos worries but to see the outcome and to see whether there's some more pressure maybe even a bucket of shit tipped over Nathan Brown's head <laughs> Indeed I don't know if we'll see that but I, I, I would imagine that would be pay-per-view uh, on Metaphorically the Metaphorically speaking we're not talking back in the actual <laughs> although there was a guy who preceded me at the paper here in Hawke's Bay and he once got a, a parcel from the Magpies rugby team and he was really excited to open it and it was um, it was an ice cream container full of cow dung, which they thought was what he wrote for the paper. So yeah, <laughs> can happen. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. It would be pay-per-view on Sky Sports if we were seeing that happen, though, wouldn't it, Roscoe? Um, what else, uh, before we let you guys go, uh, what else is big uh, this weekend on Sky Sports, Ross? Yeah, mate, I would really, I would tune into that. That that would be quite good. I'm sure we could get 25 bucks for a pay-per-view to see to see that happen. Um, maybe we could line up the coaches and have a full card. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they go way through the competition at around about round 20. Look at next year's uh, <laughs> chances. Uh, sorry, what was the question? I had a bit sidetracked there. Yeah, no, that's all right. Um, uh, from a Sky Sport point of view, uh, what's big uh, this weekend on the telly? Oh, we've obviously got you know plenty going on with the Women's Career World Cup final on, on Saturday. I think we've got the uh, the match so far of the ANZ Premiership with the Mystic Sisters Steel top of the table there. So that should be really good on Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, we've got the last PGA before we head into the Masters next week. So really looking forward to seeing the Masters next week. Lots of cricket, RSA Bangladesh, IPL, Australia versus Pakistan. You know, there's heaps going on. Sale Sharks versus Saracens in the Gala Premiership. Mate, there's just so much sport, it's hard to keep up. Miami for the tennis. Like, I don't, like I was saying earlier, like, it's, it's a great way of ruining a marriage, yeah. um, having Sky Sport on all day. Yeah, it is indeed. I'm looking forward to uh, the RSA versus Bangladesh. Do we know which RSA it is? <laughs> I'm hoping it's the Birkenhead yeah, RSA because be uh, there's a few characters in there. <laughs> hey, good stuff, gentlemen. Thanks very much for coming on and being part of the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Have a good weekend, no guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers, uh, Roscoe and Amish Bidwell there for us. Can you imagine that, though? You're just going around RSAs in New Zealand getting them to put cricket teams together to play Bangladesh. I mean, that is something I would watch.
That sounds like a great thing for NZC to put together. Yeah, I reckon. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, this is SCNZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the hot seat through till midday today. It's 17 away from 11. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. It is uh, 12 away from 11 on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, of course, who is away on World Cup duty. And uh, yeah, it was interesting, I thought, uh, talking about the Warriors with Craig Hodges and uh, what he said about Reese Walsh. And uh, you know, just to, to get this across to you, I asked about Reese Walsh because, uh, of course, there were those stories. And, and I asked about it in a uh, conversation about you and Aiken and, and Matt Lodge and, and things and about trying to hold on to some of these players. Uh, you know, you do get the old, uh, you know, wants out of his contract so he can be closer to his family garbage um, that, that comes out, you know, when someone wants out of a contract and they don't have a really good reason, they roll that out and it seems to work. Uh, but this is what uh, Craig Hodges said. He said, Reese Walsh is happy. He's excited to be moving to New Zealand. I think the rumours of him being unhappy were started by some Aussie clubs. So that is good news coming from the guy who is the general manager of, of, of football for, for the Warriors. Uh, Logan, you know, as a Warriors fan, does that reassure you that we're going to see Reese Walsh playing in a Warriors jersey in 2023? I mean, look, coming from the underbelly of Australian uh, sports media and the NRL there, I do know that sometimes they like to stir the pot a little bit on, on that stuff. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, so Queensland side, maybe the Broncos yeah. were trying to do something like that. Which is where he, they let him go and then went, whoops, what have we done? <laughs> I mean, no, it doesn't reassure me. Nothing's going to reassure me until we see uh, pen to paper, to be honest. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, well, we'll see what happens on that front. He does have a contract. It's Matt Lodge that's out of contract, so he still has a contract, Reese Walsh. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to mean anything in rugby league these days, you know? Yeah, well, that is that is part of the problem. That's one of the things I asked Craig about, you know, and uh, that was part of his answer was there. He said the UNA can th- – obviously, Matt Lodge is out of contract, so it's a bit different. But UNA can – he couldn't talk about what the issue was out of respect for UN's privacy and take that how you will. But uh, uh, that was seemed to be like a different conversation altogether. But keen to hear your thoughts on that. Double eight double three. that is the temper bedpost text machine, Double eight double three. Keep them coming in and uh, we'll read those out as the show progresses through till midday. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, this is SENZ. It is five away from 11, and uh, you can bet live on your favourite sports by downloading the TAB app today. Pip Morris from the TAB joins us. G'day, Pip. How are you doing? Good morning, Ricardo. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Now, uh, it's a big weekend of racing, big weekend of sport. Uh, what have you got your eye on uh, at, uh, over the weekend? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to be across everything, I know, but from a TAB point of view, I guess you kind of have to uh, sort of have wa- eyes wide open. Yeah, you certainly do. Look, we'll start with the racing, of course. Today, there's the mini bonus back blitz again. So Palmerston North, the first two races, as well as Waverley, and then the Addington Harness, as well as Alexandra Park. And look, I think in race number two, Thrilling Bandit, I made him the best bit of the day. He's at $3. So I think he's worth a play in a bonus back race, just in case he doesn't get up. And then, of course, we've got the big bonus black blitz across the weekend, the four main carnival races. And look, all the big group ones, not only here at Awapuni, but of course across the Tasman at Randwick. And in the Group 1 size produce at Awapuni, Wolverine's been the best back, closely followed by bestseller, then Lickety Split. 
In the English, across the Tasman, the highest bet count was Let's Roll the Dice, followed by Fireburn and She's Extreme. And the Derby, of course, we've got Baker Forsman with Regal Lion, Ricardo, who was really eye-catching on Monday for fourth. He's easily leading the bet count. We know the Baker Forsman team uh, are no strangers to taking out an Australian Derby, so hoping he can really uh, put his foot forward for them. And in the Alpuni Gold Cup, uh, the Xolula Express is the best backed, followed by Lankawi. And the TJ Smith, Rock and Force, of course, mm. won at around $101. Well, it's had the best lead bet count in that race as well, and the TJ Smith, so they're hoping possibly can get the job done. And then, yeah, for the NRL, plenty of action over the weekend in those games, including $1,000 on the Broncos at $1.90. $1,500 on the Storm to beat the Bulldogs at 119 And there was that $2,000 multi on the Broncos, Titans, Eels to win and the Sharks to cover the six-and-a-half point start to collect around $10,210. And I'm going to say it one more time. The Warriors bonus back. Last time it's available is this weekend. I'll tell you what, there would have been a nervous punter last night with that $10,000 multi, Pip, because uh, I don't know if you saw that game, but it was 6-2 to the Tigers <laughs> with about a minute left. Uh, they would have been sweating. Oh, they certainly would have been, and gosh, there was a few errors in the game, but it did come right down to the wire, and it seems to be that way the first of three rounds so far. There's not too many blowouts, and look, I can't wait for this evening's game, of course, the last year's final rematch with the Bunnies and the Panthers. Nathan Cleary back on the field, and I see Liam Martin and Fisher Harris are back for the Panthers too, so it should be a real grandstander of a game. Yeah, well, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this, mate? It feels like from what we've seen with Penrith so far this season, even without some of those big names, you know, you mentioned Nathan Cleary coming back, uh, they've, they've just looked head and shoulders above everyone else they've played, and, and South's maybe struggling for a bit of form at the moment. Yeah, I really think so, and, and look, it's going to be I think with Eilis, he's really going to have to stand up this time. Yes, I think the South did really good to come back how they have in those really close finishes, but you're right. I don't want to be too biased because I am a huge fan of Penrith, but the way that they've been playing, I know they weren't happy with the way that they let some tries back in against the Knights, obviously, when they've had their 12 men on the field. So you'd expect them to come back so much more defensively as well, Ricardo, and we know they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. I think with Fisher-Harris back on the field, Liam Martin, and the fact that Cleary's back, I can really see the Panthers taking this one out again. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. Uh, it's looking like another great round of footy, mate. Um, thanks for coming on, Pip. Always good to chat. Go well, and good luck on the punt this weekend. Thanks, Ricardo. You too. Cheers. Uh, Pip Morris there from the TAB. Uh, watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. Um, I had a text here through from Vaughan saying, I found some of Craig's comments a little contradictory. Nathan Brown comes out and says he's over-developing players, yet Craig said we're in a cr- recruitment structure at the moment. Well, what it is what it is. Kind of sidestepped my question a bit too, referring to not identifying local elite talent in the back. So I think what he said, to be fair, uh, the Vaughan is that they have, uh, and he's talking about Rocco Berry and, and players of, of that ilk, and they are in the transition at the moment from just recruiting uh, and to building back uh, that that sort of club base where they're bringing the youth through. So, yeah, good stuff. Coming up uh, after 11 here on SCNZ.
It's three past eleven here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in the chair for him through till midday today. Coming up on the show and this hour, we're going to uh, talk harness racing with Mick Guerin and uh, find out what's on the mail run today. Get some tips for the weekend as well. Your chance to play Stumped by Ricardo. Some $50 TAB vouchers up for grabs and some sleep drops as well. Uh, we're also going to talk some greyhounds with trainer Craig Roberts. Right now, though, time to talk netball and uh, the... Mystics have a men's team that is now officially part of uh, the Mystics franchise and the coach of that team, Tia uh, Winikiri, joins us. Uh, hello, Tia, how are you? Ah, tēnā Ian. Uh, Tia, I was just uh, I watched the video uh, that was put up on Facebook the other day that had you know you were interviewed in it. I know, uh, and also Helene was interviewed, and some of your players were were interviewed in it as well. Um, you've got a, a big background in coaching and in you know strength and conditioning and things as well. So, how did you end up coaching a, a men's netball team? Because this is something I guess quite unusual. We, we often see men coaching women's team, but not often we see women coaching men's teams. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've ended up coaching the Mystics Invitational Men's side because I'm one of the coaches that coaches uh, within the Mystics uh, development system and in the Northern Zone. So our uh, opportunity uh, to to have a men's team was really, really exciting and part of that uh, experience for both Mystics and for men were to merge the two the two parts of netball. Mm-hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yes, I mean... Mer- so that essentially is how I ended up coaching the team. Uh, yeah, to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I guess a lot of that is... Uh, I mean, did it, did it almost come about because... Um, you know, Helene and the Mystic setup wanted uh, some some uh, opposition that they could, you know, sort of have practice games against that they weren't going to come up in competition against later on down the track? Uh I think probably to take a step back, the the vision that Helene and Cruz had uh, going back, a, let's say it's a year or so ago, was to uh, have an opportunity, to provide an opportunity from a Mystics point of view and from a high performance netball point of view to men's uh, netball. Mm-hmm. And I guess the start of that was when we first had Cruz, and we've had Cruz now for two years as a training partner to the Mystics, and he's in our training environment. Uh, at least once a week and on other occasions. So that was the start of the discussion around uh, what we would do with and for men's netball within the franchise. I don't know that it was... uh, It wasn't necessarily aimed at having a team to train against that we wouldn't compete against in competition, but it certainly was to support the growth of men's netball and use our training environment to support that. And you do have a game this weekend, of course, against uh, the Northern Stars men's team. Um, what is the depth in men's netball like? I mean, there has been a lot of positive uh, support for the men's side of the game, and some talk about maybe we should have an ANZ for men's, but is there the depth there, maybe, say, outside of Auckland to, to be able to have competitive teams like we do in the ANZ? I'm possibly not the best person to comment on the depth of men's netball. I'm, if I'm honest, I'm a novice 
Interesting then. Uh, my expertise in terms of this it came from the mystics side of what we do and supporting the men and exposing them to what mystics do and what we do with the women in high-performance netball. Uh, so that's not for me, I don't think, to comment on in any great detail. I haven't ever coached a men's team before, but I've coached lots of netball and lots of netball players. So I think... Uh, one of the exciting things from our point of view is that we do have representation from across the country so that I suppose in a very small way tells me that there's a depth of male uh, interest and talent in New Zealand to support netball for men going forward. It's a, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting because there's so many, obviously, sports around, uh, you know, and there's uh, transitional skills, I, I guess, you know, if you play basketball, you can play, you know, you, some of those skills transition over to uh, netball. Where do you find the bulk of the, the uh, guys that you've got playing for you have come from? What's what's the background generally? The the. The cross-section of players in our team, uh, most of them have played quite a bit of netball, either for New Zealand or for their associations around the country. We've also got one, uh, one or two players who have... Oh, I shouldn't say one or two. I should probably say many of the players have played basketball. Some of them play squash and other sports like rugby league. Uh, so there's a good cross-section of uh, different codes sitting within the group that play netball, but I would say a large majority of the group has, have played netball as well for quite a long time. It, and from a coaching point of view, I mean, you said you hadn't, you'd never coached men before. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we get told often from other sports, particularly where you have men coaching women, and, and the question gets asked about, you know, you need... Uh, or do you need, should you have, uh, you know, fe- a female input from a management slash coaching point of view in these setups? And the answer is generally from from these people, no, because you know, if you're coaching the sport, you're coaching the sport, and it doesn't matter who it's coming from. Uh, from your angle, is, do you, do you find that still to be true? I mean, what are the differences for you from coaching women to coaching men? There's certainly, I would say, there's certainly differences. Uh, and and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think the diversity of what you put into your staff or your coaching team or your management group is what grows the richness within any team that you're working with. If I take Mystics, as, uh, the women's team, as, as one example, our management group and the coaching staff, uh, I think the men are outweighing the women at the moment. <laughs> However, um, we find a really good diverse balance in that, and the girls... Uh, the girls respond to it really well. So that's one experience that I think we're, it's very valuable to have uh, the expertise in it. So it's, it's not necessarily gender specific, but it's for the right fits for the team. And then for the men, uh, they're incredibly talented and athletic. They bring such a difference to the game. The way they play the game is different to women and it's exciting to to learn from them about the things that they're exceptional at. And some of them have an exceptional skill set around how they play netball. Uh, so for me, when I, I've had a wonderful experience coaching the team. The men are very willing, uh, they're very coachable, and they're, they've got a strong desire to improve. And so even though we've been together for only a short time, the effort and the intensity at which they bring to training has been really exciting. So it's actually been uh, wonderful to coach. Yeah, I mean, you say that they are different. Um, They play the game differently. How do they play the game differently? 
Well, their physical ability mm. is different to women. They're stronger and they're much more powerful. So the speed at which they can play the game uh, can be different. And the ball travels quicker and, and they travel much faster. I, I would say potentially uh, their, their challenge to one another is, is probably because the speed they're travelling at might be stronger. Uh, but I wouldn't say that one's better than the other. There's, there's, there are some things that you can't compare when you have a, a young a young male jumping above the post and can get their hand above the post. That's pretty special to watch. Mm. And women don't tend to be able to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess being able to execute skills faster doesn't always necessarily mean better, right? Because if you if you're always going 100 miles an hour, you might miss things. So that's that is maybe more nuance in the women's game. Yes, definitely. Um, the, the girls obviously have a lot more time to practice, and, and we practice skills on a daily basis in the training environment. For the men, their experience with us, we've had a a, a limited time together. Yet it's been a successful and productive time and we've spent time working on skills, simple, uh, the simple way of playing the game, passing and catching uh, and, and working to, to use the speed and ability that the men have with uh, I guess some technical instruction around how to apply that uh, more consistently within gameplay so I don't know what that will show us tomorrow and, but I am excited to see uh, what we can achieve in the short time that we've been together. Has there been uh, any uh, situation where, you know, you've been watching the guys play or, you know, sort of training games, things like that, and, and a player has pulled something out and done something and, and you've just gone, wow, that would be transferable, and you've been able to go to Helene and go, what, why don't we try this? You know, are there those things that maybe tactically don't happen in women's in, in the women's game generally that you can basically uh, grab and, and, then, and then, you know, sort of transplant into the women's game? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that I've had enough time uh, to critique that as well as one might like to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it'll be it's certainly something that will, now that I've had more experience with the men and I'm, I'm becoming more familiar with the way they play, uh, when we play the game, I think we'll see some some things that we might look at and think, yep, that actually could work. And and if we crafted it in a certain way, we what we can do with it is that's innovation and growth for the game, and that's really, really positive. Those are some of the, to your question, uh, can you pick things up and take them from other sports? Absolutely. Or other other. other we do it, we do it in, in part all the time from other codes, so I would think that we should be able to do it across the men's and the women's game. Tia, how do you think this experience, coaching a men's netball team in this way, is improving you as a coach? Uh, Well, it grows me every day. Uh, A coaching journey is a a journey of growth and a a journey of uh, professional and personal reflection. And I, there's an opportunity every time you're on the floor with any group of people to learn and grow. And I, one of the things that I am most humbled by and most grateful for is that the men have shared their knowledge. Yeah, okay, that's, um, that, that's great. Thank you for that, using that, Blinder.
Oh, it's gone. We've we just lost her. The blinder call is, is uh, unfortunately that's what happens when you use blinder. They've put a hard end on that. You program the call and you pro and you say, oh, they want ten minutes. And if you put ten minutes in, bang, that's what happens. Unfortunately, we have lost here Winnie Kerry, but uh, it was great chatting to her and getting some insight on what it's like for a woman to coach a men um, a men's team because you know so often as we've talked about, we see you know Glenn Moore for example coach coach the Black Ferns or Bob Carter coach the White Ferns. Uh, you have it that happen, happen that way around a lot, uh, but we don't see it the other way around uh, quite so much. So some great great insight there from Tia and I appreciate her time uh, ahead of their big match. That is Sunday at midday. The Mystics men play the Stars men. And I believe, Logan, that's going to be on uh, Sky Sport as part of the netball coverage package as well. Yeah, big week in a netball. I, I mean, it'll be exciting to see. Like, uh, I saw the feature that was on the uh, ANZ Premiership Facebook page uh, about the Mystics men's, and th- this is why we got her on the show. I was like, oh, this is actually quite cool. And you sort of see the comments, uh, a lot of positivity around men's netball growing in the country, and, you know, people wanting to see. Uh, a men's league akin to the women's league at some point. So maybe we do see that in the future. But, uh, you know, it's great to see that, you know, New Zealand netball um, and then the franchises that are involved with men's netball, they're trying things. They're trying to see what's out there and see what they can do to grow that game. Yeah, it seems like from from what Tia was saying that the men's game tends to be a bit more direct. Uh, they, they tend to be hard, fast, to the point, whereas the women will, you know, maybe – because the game is slightly slower, they find different ways of getting the ball under the hoop. Yeah, I think you're picking up a few netball tips there from uh, doing that show with uh, Storm Purvis every week. Yeah, mate, honestly, nailing that. Don't you worry about centre pass with Storm Purvis on a Tuesday between 8 and 9. I'll, 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 be, uh, I'll be bringing that to the party this week, uh, uh, talking about that. She'll be like, what? What's going on? He's done homework. That that never happens. Um, but yeah, yeah. if you're an Apple fan, then make sure you do check out Centre Pass with Storm Purvis here on SENZ from 8 till 9 on a Tuesday night. Coming up on the show between now and midday, uh, Mick Guerin with the Harness Racing News. Uh, we'll get a, a rundown on what's on the mail run tomorrow and what races he's looking at this weekend. Up next, though, we're talking Greyhounds with Craig Roberts. Uh, the Temper Bed Post text machine double eight double three for your tips for the weekend, so we can all get on and uh, fill that beer fridge. Uh, Craig Roberts joins us now, though. Uh, Greyhound trainer, g'day, Craig. How you doing? Yeah, g'day, uh, Ricardo. Good mate. I'm, I'm actually I've got my bloody horse training hat on at the moment. I'm, I've just been jogging the horses and just trying to put them away as I'm talking to you. So, mate, she's you, all go. She's all go. You're, you're a busy man. You you got your harness, uh, your, your harness hat on. You've got your your, your dogs as well. Um, I don't know how you fit it all, all in. Um, what's <laughs> well, neither do I sometimes, mate. <laughs> how, how do you plan your week given you've got so much going on? Oh, look. To, to be honest, I'm pretty slack these days about planning anything. Uh, I'm just um, I'm just uh, happy to still be doing it, you know. So uh, we just um, obviously, you know, with the greyhound calendar, it's it's flat out. So um, there's always uh, I mean, we're racing four times a week at Addington, and and uh, I've got a lot of sort of group dogs. So we're, we're sort of worried, you know, we have to try to schedule that in amongst it all too. So. Um, and then we've got, you know, these horses and work, so that keeps us busy as well. Yeah, mate. Well, I mean, in terms of Addington, of course, there's a big meet at Addington tonight. How many have you got running there? No, I've got no horses. Um, I mean, sorry. I've uh, got no horses and... Dogs. Dogs. Um, uh, I've got uh, six in today. I had a, had a few in last night. I had not too bad a night last night, and, and um, six in today. And uh, with a bit of luck, I, I could get a couple of winners. Where, where would you steer us, mate, if we were looking to invest? 
Oh, well, Siddiqui Bale, I think she's in the bet race too. Um, she won really well last week, went very, very quick, and uh, but she's hot favourite, mate. She's paying a dollar fifty. Yeah, right. Yeah, she's uh, very, very short, mate. Very short that one, but uh, that, that's all good, mate. What, what else uh, has been keeping you busy? Obviously, you know, you, you're handing the baton down as well. You, you know, your kids are all involved uh, in the, in the game too. How's that going? And does that take some of the pressure off, or are they running their own sort of uh, kennels? Oh, um, well, Dan, Dan's still with me at home. He's got his own wee team at home. Uh, Matt and Sarah, they've done, they've done really well. They, you know, they were lucky enough to be able to train the Colborne dogs for Judy Dickinson, um, uh, who, who, uh, breeds them in Australia. And they went up to Martin when they were only young, you know, only in the early twenties and, um, started from scratch really. And, uh, and they've done really well. They're back home down here and out at West Melton now, just out of Christchurch and, They've got their own wee ten-acre property, and Matt's uh, spent a fortune on setting it up for the greyhounds. Um, and uh, they, they've got their own breeding program going, so they're going really good. Um, Dan's just in the building stage, where uh, he's just bred his first litter, um, and uh, he's, he's training a few as well. What about Melissa? Is she still involved? No, no, Melissa. Uh, no, no, she's uh, she's got three young children, so um, pups of her uh, own. Her and a partner living. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're uh, beautiful wee kids, and they just live in Rolleston, which is between me, Matt, and and, um, and Melissa. There's, we're we're probably in about a fifteen minute hub um, f- away from each other, so it works out really good. Yeah, that um, sounds yeah, like it, mate. Sounds yeah. like. I mean, I mean, you, one of the things I guess you're working on with Dan at the moment. You mentioned that he's just got his first litter. Is is identification, right? Uh, you know, and from somebody that that's never worked with dogs before, uh, you know, how do you identify the, the ones that are, are great for uh, for sleeping on the couch? Uh, the ones that are stayers are the ones that are sprinters. I mean, and how at, at what point do you figure that out? Oh, mate, you can't, you can't figure that out till you start breaking them in and, and putting the clock on them. The, 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 the thing with greyhounds is the clock tells the story of of what their ability is. So. Um, you know, you, you do everything for them when they're growing up and, and uh, you know, you break them in and, and break them in best you can and, and then they do the rest from there on, on ability and, and desire to chase. Um, like you say, some, the, the, the very few, um, you know, just want to be, uh, or don't want to be race dogs, um, but they are few and far between. But um, then it just comes down to the, the desire to chase and, the, and the, how much ability they've got. And you talk about the desire to chase as well. I mean, uh, you know, I guess DNA plays a big part of it. But, I mean, is it often that you will get out of a litter, you know, uh, dogs that are great over shorter distances and dogs that are great over longer distances? Or, or, you know, do litters tend to produce one or the other? Probably generally one or the other, but there's no rules, mate. You know, you can, you know, I've I've seen litters where... um, you know, most of the litter can be sprinters, and then there's one dog out of the litter that's a stayer. You know, so um, there's no uh, there's no rhyme nor reason to it. But generally, generally speaking, you would say that yeah, you know, a 300 meter dog's highly likely to breed 300 meter dogs, and a stayer's more likely to produce you know stayers out of the litter. Now, you... um, sorry, carry on, Craig. Oh, but it, but it just doesn't always work like that, you know. Yeah, yeah now you've you've got a Hall of Famer in uh, Dinah Vickers sitting on the couch at home now, uh, well retired. Um, yep. I would imagine that you, you've got a few dogs around home. Does that does that preclude you from owning <laughs> cats, mate? Even if they're retired, I mean, is is, is, is the temptation just too much? 
No, mate, I'll tell you what, we've got a cat. She's, uh, she's, she must be six or seven now, so she's, uh, she's a survivor. She's pretty clever. She knows not to go over to the, to the kennels. And, um, and the three boys that we've got inside, um, you know, Donna Vickers and Ellen Ablett and Barge Bale, um, that's Dan's pet, they know, they know not to touch us. She sort of rules the roost. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we've got a little long-haired dash hand as well. So we're, we're, uh, we're a bit of a menagerie of bloody uh, animals in the house. Yeah, mate. Oh, that, that's hilarious. I do remember years ago when I was living in Wellington, mate, I was, I was flatting with a bloke who had uh, this cat called Einstein who was this big uh, fluffy white thing, but, you know, all fur. But he was a he was a unit, and the neighbours were having some work done. And I came home one day from uh, from where I was studying, and Einstein had this builder's Doberman uh, backed up on the porch. Like the Doberman wouldn't move, he was <laughs> terrified. It was hilarious. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they can be a bit like that. The old cats. They don't they don't take any bloody any uh, rubbish from dogs. I know that. No, mate, they definitely don't. Hey, Craig, thanks very much for coming on and giving us some time. Best of luck uh, uh, with everything uh, going this weekend. We'll get, let you get back to the horses as well. You sound like you're a, you're a busy man. I uh, really appreciate your time. Go well. Yep, no worries. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, no worries at all. Uh, Craig Roberts there uh, joining us. A reminder too that uh, we've got the show Dog Speed with uh, Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook on here on SENZ every Sunday from 11 or 12. So if you want more uh, dog talk, that's a good place to go. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed show. Uh, time for Stumped by Ricardo. You want to uh, get stumped? You want to win yourself? Well, you don't want to get stumped, but you do want to win yourself some TAB vouchers. I'm going to try and stump you. Give us a call 0800 150811 Get yourself uh, in there with a chance to play Stumped by Ricardo. Up next, though, it is News and Sport with Araha Hathaway. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Bit of a false start there. Yes, it is time for Stumped, potentially Stumped by Ricardo. Are you ready for the next one, Rick Dog? Uh, ready as I'll ever be, mate. Uh, I, I, last uh, yesterday it was golf, um, and and when I say golf, I use that loosely because really it was mainly gaming around golf, uh, and I <laughs> and I and I sucked, sucked horribly. Oh so my gosh, you're still bitter about that. It was one question, Ricardo. Let it go. <laughs> uh, up for grabs today, though, is a fifty dollars worth of TAB bonus bets plus some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. There's a lot of S's in that sentence. Joining us at the crease is Damon from Palmy. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice, mate. How's how's Palmy treating you today? How's it looking down there? Well, she's a bit overcast, nice and warm, um, and we've got our big race day tomorrow, the size produce, so looking forward to popping along and having a look at that. Ah, how good. All right, so for any new listeners, this is how the game works. We have three sporting categories to choose from today. Answer all three questions correctly, then you win it all. But if you get a question wrong, then it's over to Rick Dog for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out on the first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. So hold the line, guys. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot on Monday. Today's topics for you, Damon, are the America's Cup, Super Rugby, and Ice Hockey. Take your pick. I'll have a gamble with Super Rugby. All right. Here we go. Big gamble. I don't know. Um, how are you on your rugby there, Ricardo? Uh, I'm probably better on the rugby than I am on ice hockey or America's Cup. 
We'll see. I mean, you are the man that hosts all the rugby shows, so... Good luck to you, Damon. Uh, today for Stumped, we're looking at all-time record holders in Super Rugby. First up, who is the top points scorer of all time? Oh, that would have to be Dan Carter. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That's right. Who else could it be but the man DC? 1,708 points. Next closest uh, was the Bulls' Mornay Stain with 1,449. So quite a gap there. Mm, big gap. Uh, Ricky, you probably would have had that one too. Yeah, Rick, DC was, it was it's head and shoulders, isn't it? Head and shoulders. Oh, yeah. Uh, go down. He will go down in history as one of the greatest. And you oh, can get hidden shoulders from Chemist Warehouse as well uh, oh, to help, help you with your scalp health. <laughs> it's a great tie-in. DC, if you're listening, uh, Ricardo's waiting for a check for that one. Uh, on to try scorers, Damon. Who, was, who has the most Super Rugby tries in the history of the competition? Ooh. Um... Um... Uh, I'd have to go for, um, have to be a crusader. Um, cheapest, I can't think of anyone at the <laughs> moment. I'm waiting. Um, oh, I've just, my mind's gone blank. I'll just, out of the blue, I'll just go uh, Doug Howlett. Oh. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Dougie Howlett is wrong. Great guess, though. Ricardo, do you, yeah. have, do you have it up your sleeve? I, I, well, to be honest, I mean, when you asked the question, I wasn't sure if you meant team or if you meant individual player. But, uh, yeah, Doug Howlett would have been one of one of my top two. The other one I'm thinking, and, and maybe it's not so obvious because he's not a Kiwi, but Joe Roth. One of the worst things I have ever oh. seen done on a cricket field. You're staying alive here, Damon from Palmy. No it was, I mean, you're kind of on the right track there, Ricardo. It was actually, actually Israel Falau. Ah, is with, he? With 16. Oh. Dougie Hallett has 59. So How many's Joe Roth got, you know? <laughs> I have to I look that up. Uh, <laughs> you can do it for me while you're... Actually, no, you don't. Don't do that because okay, you, be, you might be cheating. Uh, Damon, <laughs> yeah, you are still alive, mate. Last question. Who has appeared in the most Super Rugby games? Ooh, um, the music always fades out at the yeah. right point with a little bit of tension. Um, um, I will go Richie McCall. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Again, not not a bad guess. Not a bad guess, Ricardo. I yeah, I, I didn't think it was going to be Richie because. All black stand downs and a few injuries he had towards the end. But oh yeah, you gotta love those policies, eh? Yeah, but yeah. It, I'm pretty sure it is a crusader um, because they've played so many you know post round robin games. So I'm gonna go White Crockett. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Stumped, stumped by Ricardo Damon on the last ball there. That is right, White Crockett. Two hundred and two games, all with the Crusaders. Good skills, Ricardo. That's a good one. I would have never have guessed that. Oh, yeah. Crockzilla, mate. Crockzilla. His book is actually uh, worth a read, too. It's a, it's a good laugh. But uh, apologies, Damon. I'd love to have given you a $50 TAB bet, especially with the, the races at Awapuni tomorrow. Have you got a tip for us? Um, 
Um, no, not at this stage. Well, not, not now that we're uh, not giving you 50 done. bucks, I don't blame you, you know, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't wait to get down there and amongst it and amongst the crowd, it'll be it'll be a bit of fun. Yeah, it should be good, mate. Enjoy it, have a great weekend on the punt, eh? Thank you very much, cheers, you too. Oh, there you go. That was tight, wasn't it? It was tight, Logan. That was very, very touch and go there. Yeah, to be honest, when you know the try one, because I was thinking, I was, I was trying to think in two directions. I was thinking team, and I was thinking individual because I wasn't sure which way you were going with it. Um, so that threw me a bit. And to be honest, Israel Flair didn't even cross my mind. Who was your guess again? Joe Roth. Uh, so Joe Roth has fifty-seven. So he is up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Izzy Falau sixty. Doug Hallett fifty-nine. Caleb Ralph fifty-eight. Caleb Ralph, there's a blast from the past. You know, Caleb Ralph, like, I've never met the bloke, but he always struck me as one of those guys who got in the All Blacks because he was on the end of the Crusaders' back line. I never thought he was that amazing a winger, but when he was on the end of that back line, he couldn't help but score tries. I mean, basically what? Crusaders now, they're the All Blacks factory, right? Back in the day, it used to be Auckland, now it's the Crusaders. Exactly, yeah, exactly. It was but a- hey, great round of stump there. Uh, so jackpots on Monday for $100, which of course... You will be in the hot seat to defend that. Yeah, and you're going to have to replace Super Rugby. As a, as I, I tell you, we're going to have America's Cup. Ice hockey is two of the options. So what's the third option going to be come Monday? Uh, to be honest, I think uh, ice hockey's been sitting there for at least a week untouched. One of the questions I have to keep updating, so it's current with stats. <laughs> uh, America's Cup, yeah, that might have to fall off because uh, it's going to be irrelevant now. We so. should put in there the uh, the World Cup draw for the football is done on Saturday. Yes. that'll be Maybe we should do a World Cup one. Okay, I like it. Football special. Yeah. I mean, right in your wheelhouse. So, yeah, I wouldn't pick it if I was on the phone. <laughs> I would pick America's Cup if I was challenging me, to be fair, but there you go. So if you were making the questions then, uh, if football is in your wheelhouse, yeah. ice hockey is in mine, what's what's the middle ground here? Rugby league. Yeah, no, that's probably fair. That's fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that, do that. that that's, I, we're giving you a heads up, okay? We're giving you a heads up here to Monday. Uh, so you can play Stump with Ricardo here on SENZ, $100 TAB voucher and sleep drops up for grabs. Up next, the great Mick Guerin joins us to talk harness racing. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a quarter to 12 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy. Uh, before midday, Mark Stafford is going to join us to tell us what's coming up uh, between 12 and 4 on his show afternoons here on SENZ. Uh, just waiting on Mick Guerin to join us uh, to talk about what's on the mail run tomorrow and what big races he's looking forward to uh, coming up uh, this weekend. Of course, uh, there is uh, there are races from Alex Park and Addington tonight, so uh, hopefully we get a couple of tips from Mick on that. Uh, had a couple of text through on the Temper Bedpost text machine. I'll take on the America's Cup, says Craig. Well, Craig, you're on. Come Monday, uh, I want to see. You want to hear from you around eleven thirty for uh, stumped by Ricardo, and that hundred dollar TAB voucher is on the line. Uh, and also, Zaid has texted us through, and uh, Zaid saying he's going to the Blues versus Moana Pacific game tomorrow. Um, it's good, Zaid. Enjoy the game, mate. Hopefully, we can get a match report out of you, um, and maybe give us a, give us a score. Have you got a score, Zaid? Flick a score through. How do you think it's going to go? Very of course, two teams that played each other not that long ago, uh, Tuesday, in fact. Uh, but I've got a feeling it's going to be a very different uh, lineup for both teams. Uh, now, harness racing. You can get amongst it. HRNZ.co.nz here to talk harness with us is Michael Guerin. G'day, mate. How you doing? Ricardo, I'm charging, brother. I'm feeling uh, really good about life. Looking forward to 
A couple of harness meetings tonight. We head to Addington and Alexandra Park, and then also, of course, uh, we have the build-up to the race continues. So we're getting awfully close, Ricardo. It's less than two weeks now until things get serious for 900k at Cambridge, with SENZ right at the forefront of it having the favourite for the race coming up on April the 14th. Yeah, exactly. Of course, we were giving away shares in self-assured uh, not that long ago, weren't we, uh, weren't we making I mean, you know, it's, it's a who's who of, of harness the race, isn't it? Um, it's massive. It, it, it's it's, a, it's the slot race, so it's, it's massive. It, it's a new thing, and harness racing needs new things. The great news is with the government restrictions changing, we have... You know, the capacity to have a crowd, to have people going to Cambridge on April the 14th. So anybody listening to this, you can it's not a big deal. You don't need to get dressed up. You don't need to get all fancy. You can rock up there, sit on the grass at Cambridge. There'll be a bit of a band playing afterwards. So a real occasion on the Thursday night before Easter. Now, one of the horses who's in the race, Ricardo, is racing at Addington tonight. They have um, a big meeting coming up there, of course. They have the open-class trot as a beauty and the open-class pace has race contender Pembroke Playboy. So he's the central focus from a race point of view. The lead-up race at Alexandra Park tonight didn't get off the ground, so they have a trial with three of the race contestants in it. And then we start to get more serious because the Aussies start to arrive. Two of them are racing tomorrow night in Sydney, Ricardo. So all the pieces on the chessboard are in play. They just don't play at different parts of the chessboard, north, south, at New South Wales, yeah, it's it's all happening, mate. Um, I mean, I know that you like a uh, you like to make uh, serious investments um, and considered investments. If you were going to consider an investment this weekend in harness, where would you be investing, mate? Heading to Addington tonight. I'll give you one for both. Addington tonight, race six. Horse called Matadiros has to beat our champion Trotter Sunday Sun, but if he does so. You're getting around 5.5 or $5.50 for your investment. Very good each way bet because he can lead and I don't think he'll be attacked. So Matadiros to maybe cause an upset in race six at Addington tonight. And at Alexandra Park in the first on the card, what's called Dream of You, Ricardo, which I hope I never do do, <laughs> but it's paying $2.20. It's, uh, but Ricardo, when I have dreams, they don't usually involve people who look like you, my big friend. Yeah, no, fair, uh, fair, fair, fair play. <laughs> he's, he's a good chance in the first on the card at Alexandra Park tonight where they have a, uh, a smaller than usual card, just the six races. So, Matadiros Addington, dream of you at Alexandra Park. And this time next week, Ricardo, we'll have even more idea of how that race is going to shape up. But the odds for that available on tab.co.nz. For previews of this weekend's racing, head to hrnz.co.nz. Yeah, no, live the dream and get involved in harness racing today. NZ Harness Racing, visit hrnz.co.nz. And Michael, I, I can't help but notice there is a huge chunk missing from tomorrow morning's mail run. Uh, it's, uh, Louis is flying solo. Where, where are you going to be? Look, it, it is disappointing, and I know many people won't tune in because I'm not going to be on the show, Ricardo, but look, give Louis a chance. I mean, I think it's nice. We, we, we try to encourage the use of broadcasting in this country. So, yes, the arrogance quotient will go down on the show, and maybe the stupidity quotient goes down on the show, but Louis's a pro. He'll have plenty of great guests. I'm not sure who's sitting in my chair, but I'm sure I'll do a better job. I'm going to be in Sydney, Ricardo, 
And considering the time difference, it'll be 6 a.m. by the time we kick off. So I reckon I would be asleep for about half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about on four, Mike. <laughs> Mick, I should say. That sounds about on four. <laughs> Um, well, Ricardo, it's been, nine, it's been nine months since I got on the plane to go across the Tasman. Um, like everybody in New Zealand, I'm looking forward to doing some travelling, heading to the sales this week, heading to the championships. Um, the great thing about it is when you take your phone overseas on roaming, you can watch all the New Zealand racing on tab.co.nz. So, Ricardo, I'll be sitting in bars in Sydney and at sales grounds and racetracks watching what's going on in both the harness and the galloping codes over the next couple of days. So that's the great thing about the modern world, Ricardo, but travel starts again for me and for plenty of other people coming up surely. Well, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated, Mick, and enjoy yourself. Travel safe. Thanks, brother. Yes, go well, Michael Guerin there with us uh, from uh, <laughs> Talking Harness Racing. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Up next, uh, Mark Staffordson talking about what we can expect from midday. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.